Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Bat Around. I'm your host, Paul Valley. He is my co-host and producer, Zachary Allen Goodman. Zachary Allen. Today's show brought to you by your local Toyota dealer. Folks, so the Toyota Tacoma comes in a range of models and trim lines, and you can choose the perfect Tacoma to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. Um, Zach, do I share the news, or do you want to wait a little bit? No, we'll wait a little bit. We'll, we'll wait a little bit? We'll wait a little bit. Okay, we will wait a little bit. I should have asked you this before the show. My yeah, no it, it, I wasn't no even deal. thinking about it. All right. Welcome into the bat around. Postseason well underway. We're almost to the World Series at this point, which means we're almost to free agency. We're almost to the winter meetings. We are almost to spring training. I wish. I <laughs> wish. We still have four I months, know. man. Look at this beautiful fall day. You don't want to rush fall. Look at this. Um, no. this, is a, this is a beautiful fall yeah, and, day. And that's the thing. I told myself that I'm getting older. We're all getting older. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I'm, get, I mean, I'm, I'm getting older. And I find myself every year wishing away fall and winter to get to spring. I'm wishing away six months out of my year every year. Like, mm-hmm. what am I? What am I doing? Why? I mean, even what? if you wish away, it's not gonna go faster. Well, it's not no, like... <laughs> I, I know, but but I I I need to be better better uh, better able to live in the moment. I'm always trying to look forward okay. to something and instead of just enjoying it. And, you know, th- this weather is nice. It's the weather that we're going to get in a month and a half that makes me want to jump off the roof. Um, <laughs> but th- this roof. So I wouldn't die if I jumped off no, this roof. No, you wouldn't. Yeah, this is what? Like, I don't know, 10 feet? Eh, maybe 12. I saw a guy last night. I, I genuinely Jump off a think, roof? No. Well, I'll, I'll get it. Hold on. So we, my friends and I were at Cracker Barrel last night, okay? And there was a guy that... I'm genuinely convinced was the tallest person in the world. Like I actually think he was almost as tall as this roof. Like there's he, no way he was. He was probably seven six, seven seven. I mean, that's not the tallest person. in no, the world. No, he's not. But like the tallest <clears throat> person I've ever seen in my life. Like this guy was NBA sized. It was. Did, it was did, crazy. Did you ask him if he played basketball? No, he was older. So I don't think. Maybe I don't he, think so. Maybe he maybe, used to. Maybe he was. I don't know. Maybe was it Washington George? Wizard or was it George Marison? Maybe I don't he was know. seven foot seven. Played for well, the Washington uh, Wizards I'm, slash Bullets. Bullets slash Wizards. You never know. You, n- you never know. Uh, you would know if it was George Marison. George Marison is easily picked picked out of a crowd. I, well, he was big. I'll say that he was big. Like <laughs> and, this and, guy, this guy would not have certainly nothing would have happened to him if he had jumped off of this. Roof. Where, where was two foot fall? <laughs> it just it would have been like a three inch drop <laughs> right, to his right. feet. Uh, where was this? This was near the the, the BWI Cracker Barrel, like right uh, out. Yeah. No, no, you may have been. May have been Heights. May, may, may have been George Mirasan. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> that guy was all knees, know. man. He, the, well, he he was like seven foot seven and like six feet of that were his it, knees. It, it's crazy. Like this guy made Aaron Judge look tiny. Like Aaron Judge would not have. Was he like bigger? Too, no, or just, no, skinny. Just, just skinny. Skinny. Like built like an NBA player. Built huh. like an NBA player, but probably in his forties or fifties. Was it Webinyama? Is that his uh, name? Maybe I don't know. The, 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 I genuinely don't know. No. If, if you're going to ask me basketball questions, oh, I, I don't even think I'm I got out. the guy's name right. There was number one overall pick in the draft by the Spurs this oh, past year. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I know Victor, right? Victor, Victor Webinyama. Yeah. Webinyama. I think I said that Webinyama. right. Yeah. I, we're probably saying it completely. Probably. It's probably, probably like Smith. When I, by the way, <laughs> you didn't you didn't catch it, but when I was here with Ryan and we did the when I did the show and I read I did the live reads, I butchered a name. Like it was no way. <laughs> It was really bad. This might be the worst one yet. 
Is it in one of these reads? I don't think was so. Was it Jarrett it was, Johnson? It was not. It was not. It was not <laughs> former Raven Jarrett Johnson. Was it Glenn Clark? If it was Glenn Clark, I yeah no, that was not Glenn <laughs> no. Clark. <laughs> I w- <laughs> It was like a coach. I think like a, I don't know, some football coach somewhere. But I don't know. That's so funny though because. I, I, Ryan looked over at me and he was like, "I could just tell in his eyes he was like, nah. I'll never forget. <laughs> I'll never forget Ralph Fridgen. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Off the rails. Um, last night's postseason games, both of them, absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. Yeah. You start with the Astros and the um and the Rangers, and the Astros go up two one, and then in the bottom of the six, Adolis Garcia hits a three run homer. Yeah, and the Rangers now up four two, and it's like, holy crap! What a huge home run in a huge moment, right? Bottom of the eighth, he's up. There's already a runner on first base. There's less than two outs. And uh, he's facing Brian Abreu. And Abreu hits him in the rib-slash-shoulder area. And uh, uh, Garcia immediately starts talking trash to Martin Maldonado. <laughs> uh, the bench is clear. Yeah. It turns out Dusty Baker, pitcher Brian Abreu, and Adolis Garcia all get tossed from the game. Uh, and not to mention, now there's first, oh, it's first and second with nobody out. First and second, nobody out. And then the pitcher, was it uh, was it Kimbrell that was in the game at that point? I think it may have been... No, 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 no. It's Presley. It was Presley. You're thinking of the K- other yeah, game. Yeah, K- Kimbrell, Kimbrell plays for the Phillies. Yeah, Sorry. you're thinking of the other game. It, it was Presley. Uh, Presley immediately gets a ground ball to first base. Hell of a play by Abreu. Yeah. Th- throws from... His non his throwing arm is on the opposite side of where he needs to be to make a throw to second base. He's throwing from his butt, gets the guy out of second base. Runners on first and third um, with one out now. And then Presley strikes out the next two batters, and they get out of the inning without allowing a run, which then allows the drama in the top of the ninth. The first two batters reach for the 8-9 I'm sorry, the 7-8 hitters reach for the Astros. And then the nine hitter smokes a line drive towards center field. The shortstop makes a leaping grab to. Um, it was a nice catch. It, it, really it nice. Really nice leaping grab to hold the runners at first and second. Now just now with the one out, and up comes Jose Altuve. And if you didn't see this coming, if you didn't <laughs> expect it, you haven't been watching yeah. for the last seven years because yeah. this is what Jose Altuve does in the postseason. I almost picked him for take the right class week. I mean, almost. This, this is what he does. Yeah. Hits, yeah. a, hits a go-ahead three-run homer in the top of the ninth inning with one out. Yeah. Five to four Astros. And then in the bottom half of the inning, the Rangers get the first two batters on to start the bottom of the ninth inning, and they don't score. And the game ends. The Astros beat the Rangers five to four to take a 3-2 series lead <laughs> after going down 2-0 Every year. in the series. Just an incredible game. It, 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 there's drama. There's fireworks. There's theatrics. Astros come away with the victory. The home team has lost every game in this series yeah. so far. Home teams are 0-5 in this series so far. You flip the script now to the Phillies and the Diamondbacks where the home team has won every game to this point. And last night, 2-1 series lead for the Phillies. Um, and they're leading in the bottom of the eighth inning. They're leading. What? What was it? Uh, four to three. It was. Uh, no. It was you, bottom of the eighth. Bottom of the eighth. They it, were, they it was were, five to three. Because oh, oh, right, right, right. It was five. They're, to three. they're leading. They're leading five to three. Alec Thomas comes up yep. as a pinch hitter. Yep. And it looked like he tomahawked this pitch. This pitch was shoulder height. Yeah, and it was outside. It yeah. was it was a good like couple inches off the plate outside. And yeah. and, and he rips a two run homer into right center field 
to give to, to tie the ball game up at five. Now I was talking with my wife when they scored there. There's two outs in the eighth inning now. That two more guys get on base, they end up scoring a six run to go up six five, and it's so funny because my wife and I were watching the game, and then it was five two Phillies, and I was like, all right, yeah. Do you want to watch the fall of the House of Usher? Because we had already started it. It was episode three that we we're gonna that we were gonna be on, and so she was like, yeah, we watched that, and. She goes upstairs. I'm finishing working on the show. I come upstairs, and I was like, we don't have to put a baseball game on. It's 5-2 Phillies in the eighth. They're yeah. not going to lose this game. And then they ended up losing the game. <laughs> they ended up yeah. losing the game. They lose 6-5. Now that series is tied 2-2. And I told myself, Zach, when the Diamondbacks got to the championship series, mm-hmm. I said to myself, I can't live with the Diamondbacks going to the World Series. I can't handle that. And it's not for anything other than just two years ago, they lost 110 games yeah. just like the Orioles did. Yeah. I don't want them in the World well, Series. Well, they only had 84 the wins this year. Yeah, right. They won so. 84 games, and now they're two wins away from getting to the World Series. And, and yeah. they, they go down 2-0, and I'm like, the Phillies. I mean, the Phillies are, are, are a wagon. They're unstoppable right now. Yeah. And the next thing you know, after going down 2-0, now the series is tied 2-2. So, yeah, when, when Ryan was on the show again, two, I think that was two weeks ago now, yeah. um, he was... Telling me, he was like, oh, yeah, the Phillies are going to beat the Braves. They're going to go to the World Series. They're going to win this thing. And I said, I don't know. I was like, I, the Phillies were good in the regular season, but they weren't as good as the Braves. They beat the Braves. Now they're onto the Diamondbacks. And the Diamondbacks look like a better challenge for them, to be honest. The Diamondbacks are just hot. They got hot at the right time. They're scrappy. That's, and they, yeah, they're scrappy. And I think they're well managed. I think Lavolo is, is quite a good manager. So. What I saw last night, Alec Thomas had been hitting, I think, 160 coming into that at bat where he hits the home run. There's a couple things to note from that. Craig Kimbrell is not the same Craig Kimbrell. No, he hasn't been for years. The back end of the Phillies bullpen is not that strong, in my opinion. Mm. Craig Kimbrell is not the guy you want in that situation. He just isn't the same guy. That pitch wasn't even bad, but it was the fact that he threw, what, eight pitches in that at-bat, maybe mm. nine, and he couldn't get Alec Thomas out. I'm not going to claim like I know that much about Alec Thomas. I really don't. But he seems like a guy who probably shouldn't have hit the game tying home run. Yeah, <laughs> he probably feels from the, the numbers. He probably feels the same way about himself. Did you see his reaction after he touched first base? Oh yeah, he went like this. He he was like, oh, <laughs> it, it was almost like, oh my god, I can't believe I hit that. Like, like Al- Alec Thomas slashed 230, 273, 374 in the regular season. How many home runs did he have? He had eleven. Nine. He had nine. Nine. Yeah. Nine. Uh, he. Like the fact that he's the guy that hit that home run even surprised him. Yeah, I think. <laughs> yeah, you know, you yeah. could just tell the way he did it. It was almost like a. That's the biggest hit I'm ever going to have in my entire life. It looks like his minor league numbers. I mean, he slashed three forty eight, four oh nine, five eighteen, nine twenty seven in the minors this year. So clearly, this guy maybe he's something. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, what, what? When was he drafted? He was. So he's only twenty three, mm-hmm. and he was drafted in. 2000, where is this? Where am it's I probably looking? 2021. 2018. 2018. He's drafted 18th, second rounder. In the second round. So, the, yeah, he's supposed to be that guy. He just isn't yet, but he's supposed to be. I, mean, if I he's was unaware he was this good. Yeah, yeah and, and if, if he's doing that in the minor leagues, I mean, you you got to have some level of talent to get to the big leagues. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, second round pick in 2018, which means he was taken right out of high school, yep. Um, which means he was damn good. Because who else was an 18-year-old taken right out of high school? Gunnar Henderson, right? Sure. Yep. So, um, that means he's damn good. And he's coming into his own now, and yeah. he's hitting the. That could be a, tur- a turning point for him for his career, where he hits that huge home run in the LCS to tie the series up. And next year, maybe he takes off. You've seen it before; you'll see it again. But just a, a huge hit for him in that situation. Just an epic night of baseball. Yeah, and it serves me right because 
I came into both these series thinking, well, either Astros or Rangers. I don't really want either team to make it to the World Series, but I guess because the Rangers beat the Orioles, it wouldn't... On the one hand, it wouldn't suck to see the team that that goes to the World Series for the American League be the team to beat the Orioles. On the other hand, it wouldn't suck to see them lose and have the Astros go back to the World Series because either way, I think whoever they whoever it is, they're facing the Phillies and the Phillies are going to beat them. Yeah, and it serves me right for not paying as much attention to the to the AL and, L, and LCS because th- these last couple of games have been absolutely incredible. I mean, it, yeah. it was it was must see television last night, no doubt, with both of those games. Now, what I got to ask you. The Astros and the Astros, if they make it back to the World Series for the fifth time in seven years, and then they win yeah. it for their third World Series championship in seven years, where does their dynasty rank? It's all funny. Time? I literally had this conversation this week with someone, and I said it's it's already up there. I think it's there has been you know the Yankees obviously are are, are the the all time dynasty. They probably always will be. Twenty seven rings. Most of them came before. Oh, a lo- most of them came a long time ago. That's yeah. the best way to put it. But, and I'm not saying the Astros are, are on that level or akin to that. But I think that you look at what they've done over the past seven years, as you said. I don't think there's another team that's been just as playoff dominant as they have been. Yeah, they've it, been unbelievable. Well, you, so you can look at the '96 to 2004 New York Yankees. Mm-hmm. And with the exception of 97, they went to the LCS and the World Series every year. Yeah. They won it in 96, yeah. 98, 99. The early years of Jeter, and, and, Rivera. And 2000. They yeah. went in 2001. They went in 2003. They were up 3-0 in the LCS in 2004. Um, so th- th- that Yankees dynasty, you but it, when you go back, right? So like the 1970-79 Reds, the big red machine, incredible. The the 2010 yeah. to 2014 Giants that won three World Series. It, Fair, yeah. That's in, in five years. That was an incredible team. Um, the 71 to 75 A's, they went to, I think it was four World Series in a row, and I think they won three of them. Um, or I'm, I'm sorry, I think it was five World Series in a row, and I think they won three or four of them. Um, honorable mention, 88 to 90 A's, three World Series in a row. Then the 1947-1953 Yankees, and having this team as a dynasty, you understand it, but it's not you you it's not fair to compare no it's not because back not the then same. the team that finished it with the best record in the American League faced the team that finished with the best record in the National League in the World yeah. Series there were no playoffs yeah. it was regular season World Series right right so if you look at the 47 of 1953 Yankees they won six World Series in seven years yeah and the one year that it's they not didn't, the same the one year that they didn't win the World Series they didn't win the American League so they, they right. didn't go but if you even really look at it, of course, while I'm making a point, my, my computer um, goes into <laughs> sleep mode. But if you look at the 1936 to 1964 New York Yankees, 29 seasons, 22 World Series appearances, wow. 16 World Series titles. Again, different era because different era. there were yeah. no playoffs. You just If you had the best record, you, you went to the World Series. So maybe if we're looking at the 21st century, we can make the well, argument the, that this is... M- at the top. Well, but there's no argument to be made because there's two teams. Yeah. That that you sure. can really and the Giants 2010 to 2014, yeah, they won three World Series, but they weren't close and I yeah. I don't know their exact records in 20 um 2011 and 2013, but I know that they didn't even go to the World Series those two years. The the Astros 
they're in the World Series almost every year at this point. Right. You know, I mean, seven seasons, five World Series appearances, if they make it this year. Right now, you're sitting at six and four, right? Um, it just The 21st century is only 23 years old. There's been two teams that you can consider a dynasty. But the fact of the matter is there's so much parity in sports these days that it's hard to even have the dynasty conversation anymore because it just doesn't happen. I mean, in the NFL, you had the, the, the New England Patriots, right? Maybe they're the greatest dynasty of all time in the history of football. Yeah, because of when they did it and how they did it from 2000 to from 2001 yeah. through what was it 2017 2016 something like yeah. that maybe maybe it's the patriots yeah um but other than that it's hard to have a dynasty this day and age and the fact that right. the astros are doing it right now when the talent is better than it's ever been it's impressive and i just looked it up so 2011 giants 70 uh sorry 86 wins and the 2013 giants 76 wins right so, so yeah yeah, they, in between. They, yeah, they they they, uh, they didn't make the postseason either year, obviously, right? No, second and third place. Second and third place. So they didn't even make the postseason in those two years. So the, they the fact that they won three World Series, that's cool. But the two years that they didn't, they didn't even make the playoffs. Um, the Astros have been there, and they haven't just been there every year for the last seven years. They've gotten to at least the championship series each of the last seven it, years. It's, it's, un, an, it's it, unreal. The the run that they're on to have that much sustained success. To be able to do that year in and year out, this day and age, it's truly remarkable. And not only that, they, they've lost guys. George Springer. Now, George Springer is maybe not the best example, but you know, Justin Verlander left for a little they, bit. Now they, he's they, back. They, but they, they lost Carlos Correa. Correa. Carlos Correa. They lost yeah. Justin Verlander. They lost yep. Garrett Cole. They lost Zach Greinke. Yep. They lost. Um, oh, Garrett Cole is a great example. I yeah, forgot they, about they, that they, one. they yeah. lost Carlos Beltran. Um, yeah. they, they lost Brian McCann. I, I mean, yep. they lost. And Brantley's been out injured for like yeah. half the seasons. <laughs> so half the seasons. Yeah, um, half, the, half the seasons. The, Brantley's just a professional hitter, man. But but he's he's also a professional uh, injured list guy. Yeah, he is. But he show when when he's healthy, he's always showing up in the playoffs for him. He's just that kind of guy. But uh, you know, I really, if you look at the lifeblood of this team, it's Jose Altuve. He oh, is absolutely. the consistency across the board. Where. Like you said earlier, you expect them to come up and hit the three-run home run like he did last night. That's what you expect Jose Altuve to do. It just yeah. it, it's him. Where does he go down? And we're going to talk about this with both Stan and with and with Connor Newcomb from the Locked On Orioles podcast. He'll be on around eleven twenty today. Uh, where does Jose Altuve rank amongst the greatest all-time postseason performers? He's got to be at the top of the list. He, he's right up there. I mean, he's right up there. Him, Bryce Harper hasn't done it long enough, but Bryce, I mean. He's been in the league long enough, but he didn't have the postseason since he got to the Phillies. Man, he's been that dude, right? But but like, and Jordan Alvarez, man, he just he's good for two home runs every game. It feels like, yeah, um, yeah. But but Jose Altuve, twenty five career postseason home runs. Um, I think he's got more RBIs than everybody except for um, Bernie Williams. In he, the post, he is in very similar history. postseason numbers to Jeter. I just looked yeah. it up, like very similar. So, but Jeter. Played him, played in the postseason for twenty years. Yeah, that more home runs are. Jeter only had twenty home runs in his right. whole postseason career. You you think about it. You're looking at Jose Altuve. He's been in the postseason eight years. Yeah. Right. Jeter was there twenty years. Right. And, and so it, it's it, that's not a fair comparison because if you take Jeter's first eight years in the postseason, combine them to Altuve, Altuve dwarfs him. Yeah. Jeter slashed in career in the postseason: three hundred eight, three seventy four, four sixty five, twenty home runs, sixty one RBIs. Altuve right now is at two seventy, three thirty nine, five hundred four, eight forty three, twenty six home runs, fifty four RBIs. Like the numbers aren't that far apart. Right. But how many games? 
Uh, for Altuve, it's been 101 games. For Jeter, it has been... Give me one second. 210, I'm guessing. 158. 210 would have been so astronomical. A 57 game fi- difference. 57 game difference, and he's got more home runs and more RBIs by a, a good bit. It, it, Jeter, all-time... I mean, he's a Hall of Famer, yeah. right? All-time postseason performer, all-time worst defender in the history of shortstops. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, God, I will maintain for the rest of my days... That if Derek Jeter played anywhere else in his career, he's Paul Molitor. Yeah, he would have been respected. Probably would have been a Hall of Famer. Uh, the, would no, not the, have been the guy he was. There's no probably about it. He's a Hall of Famer. But he's Paul Molitor. People don't talk about Paul Molitor at, at, at the way that they talk about Derek Jeter. They talk, right. about, him, uh, they talk about him as a guy right. who played for some Midwest teams uh, throughout his entire career. I mean, he, he, he made his name with the Minnesota Twins, had some time with the Toronto Blue Jays, but he was a Minnesota Twin. And yeah. you, you look at Paul Molitor, really good hitter, really good baseball player. Right. But that's how you talk about him. Derek Jeter gets talked about as a legend of the game. Right. Because he played in New York. He plays anywhere else in his career. At literally anywhere else in yeah. his career, he's Paul Molitor. I mean, you look at War, and Kyle Ripken has 96. Derek Jeter has, has 71. 71. Yep. Like, that should tell you a lot of things you need to and know about it, Derek Jeter. Cal is considered a legend of the game by people that know the game. That, no, yes. He's considered one of the greatest shortstops of all time. But you ask anybody, and they would choose Jeter. Anybody that, that doesn't pay attention like we do, they would choose Jeter over Ripken because he played in New York. You put right. Cal, take Cal's career. Take Cal's career and just the streak alone. You put him in New York, and they're talking about him as one of the greatest players that's Correct. ever lived. Correct. Right? You, do, you take no the doubt. power numbers, the 3,000 hits, the 400 home runs, and the, the defense at two different positions, and then you also take, a, the, uh, take the fact that he changed the shortstop position. For Jeter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, he changed, like, six foot four playing shortstop was completely Crazy. unheard of. That, that, those guys moved to third base. Ripken started the third base and moved to shortstop and then right. played a thousand consecutive innings at shortstop and 2,632 consecutive games uh, uh, primarily at shortstop. The last two years before he ended the streak yeah. was at third base because of Bordick. But th- Cal Ripken, if he played in New York, they're talking about him as a top five player in Major League history. Undoubtedly. Undoubtedly. Uh, b- because he played in New York. But because he played in Baltimore, yeah. you have... Idiots taking Derek Jeter over Cal Ripken at the shortstop position all time. It's stupid. One actual comparison I want to make real quick is Reggie Jackson known for his postseason performance. I want to see how he compares to he Altuve. Hit, um, so, he only hits he hit 16 postseason home runs because I know that he and Kyle Schwarber are tied for the most home runs by a left-handed hitter in, in postseason he, history. He, he was at 18, uh, slash 278, 358, 527. He, oh, he had 18 career. home runs? 18, oh, I thought that, that they said that it was 16. It, what's actually amazing is that Mr. October, Reggie Jackson, has played only 77 postseason games and Altuve is already at 101. Yeah. That's unreal. That's really crazy yeah. here. Well, you also have to think about the fact that how, how much of Reggie Jackson's career was played in Oakland. At, be, uh, be, before he got to New York. And look, yeah, when he was playing in Oakland, Oakland was a really good team. And, and then he went to a, a good New York team. But it, they weren't at the consistency of the Houston Astros. I, I mean, th- think about, look at the postseason games that Altuve's played in, and then look at, at the fact that they've all come in the last seven years. Yeah. You know, th- yeah. that's that's what it boils down well, to. What's amazing, though, with Reggie Jackson is he played in five World Series and won all five of them. Yeah, that's well, what's really amazing. He was on wagons. I mean, the the the, <laughs> yeah. the, the, the 
the A's of the 70s dominated the first half of that decade. Mm-hmm. And the Yankees of the 70s dominated the second half. Now, what's the common denominator there? Reggie Jackson. Yeah. You know, yeah. I don't think that he's... The, He's not like Frank Robinson to the 66 Orioles, right? No. But he's still that dude. He's in the Hall of Fame for a reason. 563 home runs. Yeah. I mean, the guy, yeah. Reggie, Re- it, it's it was, Reggie Jackson. You may not have liked his personality. Um, my mom has a Reggie Jackson story that she has told me time and time again. Okay. When he was playing for the Orioles, I think, it, what was it, 1976, I think he played for the Orioles. Played yes. like played 123 games to 27 home runs. He didn't even want to sign with the Orioles. Um, the, the Orioles traded for him, and he didn't want to play for him. That's why he, only, he didn't play the entire season, because he didn't show up. Um, but... So Reggie Jackson was at uh, Models, I believe it was. Okay. I believe it was, and he was signing for people. And there was a a mad de- no, no. He went, he went. We'll call Stan in just a second. Okay. I just want to tell the story real quick. Um, he goes into he goes into Models. I don't even think he was signing for people. He uses the bathroom. He comes out, and there's just a flood of people trying to get autographs from him. My mom is there buying. My mom used to judge diving competitions along with my grandfather. Uh, my grandfather was an Olympic alternate hmm. uh, for the diving team. So my grandmother. Um, goes out, uh, my grandmother, wow, my mom is buying something for this competition, right? So she goes to buy it, and the, and the guy at the counter says to her, you know that's Reggie Jackson back there, don't you want an autograph? <laughs> and she and she looks at, she turns, and Reggie's standing right there, and she reaches through the crowd, she shakes his hand, she goes, hi Reggie, I'm Susan, do you want my autograph? <laughs> and <laughs> Reggie thought it was so funny, that's funny that he walked my mom's stuff out to her car and helped her get in the car. That's awesome. And, 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 that's uh, too funny. Yeah, so that's my mom's Reggie Jackson story that she's that she's proud to tell, although when she told it to me most recently, about three weeks ago, um, she mistakenly called him Bo Jackson. I was like, You're not, it's not Bo, Mom, he would have been 11 years old. When that when that happened, but that's my mom's uh, Reggie Jackson story. We gotta get Stan on the line while I uh, bloviate over here. Oh, um, by, by the way, I should just note Stan texted me. He wants twenty to twenty-two minutes, so I should just note that. Okay, yeah, no, that's, that's perfect. That's perfect. actually perfect for what we're doing today. While Zach gets Stan on the line, I want to remind you today's show is brought to you by Pressbox's Glenn Clark Radio, which is the definitive place to find the best daily discussion of Baltimore sports. Watch the show every weekday from ten to noon at YouTube.com/slash PressboxOnline or Facebook dot com slash pressbox sports or listen at pressboxonline.com slash radio with podcasts available on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. You never know who might pop up on GCR. This week, this week, the guys were joined by Hall of Famer Kurt Warner, former Orioles pitcher Rodrigo Lopez, and former Ravens linebacker Jarrett Johnson. You can find those interviews and the Tyus Bowser show with special guest Jadavian Clowney in this week's Glenn Clark Radio Week in Review feature at PressBoxOnline.com. Joining us now for his weekly segment, he is Stan the Fan Charles. Stan, good morning. It's Paul Zach. How are you? Hey, good morning, guys. How you doing? Doing well, doing well. We were just talking about postseason performances, Stan. And did you get a chance to watch both of those games last night? Uh, I watched a good bit of both of them, but didn't see the sort of the much of the end of the Houston game. I was at a birthday party, and then I didn't see the beginning of the uh, Philadelphia game. But I sure seem to have some problems with how uh, Rob Thompson uh, managed his bullpen last night. Just absolutely awful. Yeah, the, 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 well, aside from that, both of those games were 
absolutely incredible. And we can talk about Rob Thompson as management of, of his bullpen here, but what you may have missed, and I'm sure you, you, you're caught up on it, was the theatrics yeah. and the drama of the end of that Astros-Rangers game where you have Adoles Garcia with yeah, the... Got, go ahead. Yeah, did you guys think it, Did you guys think that the pitcher uh, Abreu should have been thrown out of the game? Do you think he really, in the middle of that close a game, I, is attempting to hit the, the batter? I, I don't think that there's any intent there. That is the stupidest time in the history of sports to do it. If you have uh, to do that in the bottom of the eighth inning in a game where you're leading by where I'm sorry, not leading where you're trailing by two runs, it's nonsensical to think that he would have uh, done that. It's yeah, just crazy. Apparently, there's a history there, but there's not there's not a chance that he's trying to put Garcia on when they're trailing by two and they have nobody out in the bottom of the eighth inning. It, that does not make any sense which, to me. Which umpire was it? Oh, it I, wasn't I Angel Hernandez. He wasn't in this game, was he? No, <laughs> no Angel Hernandez isn't in the postseason. He, he's... I'm, I'm kidding. Oh, I'm oh, kidding. oh, oh, oh. My, <laughs> my, remember? Yeah, no, no I, I, I apologize. I wasn't... Um, I thought you were serious there for a second. Up one. No, I no, didn't. No. Over my head. Um, no, but but that, that whole dust-up... And then Dusty Baker getting tossed, Abreu getting tossed, Garcia getting tossed. Garcia, in my opinion, overreacted. Uh, th- there's no chance that Abreu's trying to hit him. There's no chance of that. It's it's, And there's no chance that Dusty Baker had anything to do with it if he was trying to hit him because Dusty's too smart to think that that's a good idea. It, the whole yeah. thing was stupid. But lost in that was the big home run that Garcia hit. And, and then after that... Jose Altuve stand coming up there two two on one down trailing by two. If, if you don't know that he's going to hit a home run there, then you haven't been watching Houston, the Houston Astros, and Jose Altuve for the last seven years. Yeah. Where does yeah. he rank amongst the best postseason performers? It seems like he does this time and time again. Well, what we what we lose track of is you know in my day growing up, Mickey Mantle was the greatest, but you only played in four to seven postseason games a year. Altuve, Altuve plays in like 20 every year, it seems like. So his numbers are pretty astonishing. And, you know, I know he's probably not even the all-time leader in home runs yet, but he's getting there. Uh, he's just a remarkable player, you know. You know how you know how great he is? Because he's a, a player when you're playing against him. You love to hate, you know. Yeah, but you know that he can come up and be as dangerous as he was in that situation. That's that's really one of the all-time home runs of all time. But, yeah. you know, guys, it, what's really come even more crystal clear, and I've been saying it for weeks, is the postseason, the starting pitchers are not nearly as valuable as the bullpen. And the sequencing of how you use your bullpen is now the most important thing in the postseason. And, uh, again, we can get into it when you ask the questions, but uh, understanding what was going on there, that was just horrendous malpractice by uh, manager Rob Thompson of the the Phillies, of the highest regard. And the malpractice on the part of the Rangers is they didn't build a strong enough bullpen, and it's going to come back. The, you know, it's going to come back to uh, bite him. Yeah, no I mean, question about it. Well, let, Leclerc, Leclerc wasn't Leclerc wasn't the closer until about two weeks ago. 
They thought that that was going to be Aroldis Chapman's job. Uh, they thought they were being very proactive, and I do give Chris Young a tra- uh, credit for being proactive, but it turned out it was a colossal mistake for Chapman. Yeah, I, I just so, – so, Stan, where was – if you don't mind my asking – where was the malpractice, yeah. in your opinion, with the usage of that Phillies bullpen? Because, I mean, I, I feel like you go to the well with Craig Kimbrell um, every time in, in the ninth inning, and you've, you've got yourself... He's no, longer, he's no longer that pitcher. When you had a three-run lead, I was driving home from the party, and by mm-hmm. the way, I had a little Superbook wager that, uh, that the Phillies uh, would have won me a nice little money. I had a, a parlay. On the uh, on the Astros and the Phillies last night, he's got a five to two lead. They don't have anybody on. He he had Sir Anthony Dominguez, and I know he pitched previous innings. But if you know that Kimbrel has pitched twenty plus pitches the night before and didn't look very good last night, why in the world would you set it up to to have to go to him for more than one batter? I mean, I thought that was just absolutely horrible. Let Dominguez run into a little bit of a problem there before you take him out for Soto. And if you don't, you leave Sir Anthony Dominguez in to get out of that inning. You've got Soto later on, and then you can use Alvarado in the ninth inning, which is the guy you want to use in the ninth inning. You don't want Kimbrell in the ninth inning. He's horrible now as a closer. Well, there's... There's something to that, and I didn't realize that, that Kimbrough had thrown 20-plus pitches the night before. So I, w- I was telling Zach, I've been watching the postseason, but I've been, like, half-watching it while... while. No, I understand. I understand. I've, I've been watching these series pretty carefully. Um, last night was a fluke. I had my friend Boogie's uh, a birthday party to go to, and uh, um, I, I was paying attention to them on my phone, and then I saw, I, I got in the car. They had just gone ahead five to two. And he brings out Dominguez in the seventh inning and he gets the first batter. Why, why if your bullpen is that taxed? And don't tell me Dominguez couldn't have got two more outs there. Okay. Mm-hmm. But, but he had to bring Soto in. And all of a sudden, by the time I got home, Soto was in trouble and gave up a run. And that set up uh, the, the eighth inning when they gave up the home run to tie it, you know. Yeah, no, it, it's it's a fair point. It's a fair argument, especially if Kimbrell threw twenty pitches the night before. Now you're trying to get get to him to get through it's the, the eighth. first time. Luke Luke texted me something. It was the first time uh, in over a year that Kimbrell had been used in that way, right. where, where he had thrown twenty plus pitches the night before. And be one thing also, uh, Paul if Kimbrell had been lights out the night before, you know, sure, sure. it was awful the night before. And he's been very dicey to use. And I'll tell you, as great as their two starters are, Nola and Wheeler, what have I been preaching all along? These starters today, it's not like the days of Whitey Ford and uh, Sandy Koufax and Don Drysdale. Uh, you know, they all, no matter how great they are, the hitters, work counts such now that they all have they're they're done in the sixth inning yeah no you know you're you're right and and no so it's all about in the postseason it's all about the sequence you have for your relief pitchers and this will go down as one of the 
first of all, I still think they're good enough to come back and win mm-hmm. uh, the series. But this that was, in my opinion, one of the biggest blunders I've I've seen. Well, you know? let me ask and again, you. And it all boils down to the it all boils down with the over obsessiveness of righty lefty and not taking into account last night that Kimbrell should have been a one batter player last night or a no batter player. And you need the you need to manage your bullpen in such a way. You know, I, I just was astounded at how poor that was that that's who they had in the ninth inning last night. Well how do you feel about them taking out Christopher Sanchez after two and a third innings as as the starter? Two hits one uh one are, Two, two hits, that two I runs. Can't, that I can't, com- that I can't comment on because that's the part of the game I didn't see. When I saw that, that by the third inning, Huffman was in the game. Mm-hmm. I just didn't understand it, you know, because I happen to like Sanchez. You know, right? It's been an interesting trade that not a, none of us really talk about. They gave up that guy that's in the Tampa Bay Rays top ten prospects, Curtis Mead, the kid from Australia. The mm-hmm. third baseman outfielder um, for Christopher Sanchez, and uh, the Phillies have gotten some good usage out of him. He's a pretty good pitcher. I certainly would have thought that he could have gone longer, or if not, you're paying Tejon Walker seventeen and a half million dollars. He can't come in that game and give you two and two thirds or three and two thirds. When again, you should know that. I'm really squeezed because I'm using the same relievers every night, and they need mm-hmm. they can't come back to back. Well, and that it's it's a situation where you're trusting your guys who have been there, done that, and, and you know if you look at this bullpen and you're looking at Craig Kimbrell for the eighth and Jose, and Alvarado for the ninth, uh, that's the move that you want to make, but not if Kimbrell threw 20 pitches the night before and wasn't exactly effective. And that was something that, that I wasn't aware of because I didn't see, I, w- right. I wasn't able to watch the game the night before, at least that, that part of the but game. He, and he also didn't have Alvarado to come into the ninth inning. He sequenced it. He sequenced it all wrong. Oh, yeah. So it, it was just, I, again, it was to me it was managerial malpractice. I think they'll still have enough to win the series because uh, I have a hard time seeing Arizona winning a game tonight's absolutely huge though for the Phillies, you know. I absolutely and, and for Arizona, of course. I, I absolutely agree. Now, now here's a question, Stan, that, that I want to ask. Zach and I started to get into it a little bit. The Philadelphia Phillies—they went 90 and 72 this year. They're they're poised to make it back to their second straight World Series. But the first part of the season, when they were still getting healthy and Trey Turner was still getting acclimated, uh, they were kind of floundering a little bit until they turned it on in, in the second half. Are the Phillies a team where should we have expected them? to have taken it to the Atlanta Braves for the second straight year. Because when they're f- fully healthy and they're firing on all, all cylinders, they seem to be just as good as the Atlanta Braves, and they've knocked them out of the postseason each of the last, each of the last two seasons. Uh, is this on us for not thinking that, for just uh, automatically crowning the Atlanta Braves in August as the World Series champions? Yeah, um, look, I, I think it's human nature, you know, when you see a team that's up by 16 games, you know, you you tend to think that they're the they're the much better team, but but there were some circumstances. Uh, you know, there were some circumstances in this whole situation, uh, having to do with the fact that Trey Turner became Trey Turner in the last six weeks of the season. You know, I mean, that, he I think he hit like eleven or twelve home runs 
in the last six weeks of the season. Yeah, I think he hit 13 home runs in August. Uh, I think Bryce Harper yeah. hit 16. It was one of them hit 16, one of them hit 13. The entire team. That's right. what they. That's been their their recipe for success in the postseason: just bludgeoning other teams and like using the bullpen properly, as they didn't do last night. This Phillies team stand. I, 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 are they the team to beat at this point? I know that they've lost the last two games to Arizona, but in my in my estimation, this team is the team that 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 should be the favorites from here on out. Uh. Well, the one the one thing that speaks against that right now is the same thing that speaks against the Texas Rangers is the bullpen. Uh, and again, I'm I'm being hard on Rob Thompson. Um, they, they're they're a, they're a relief pitcher short, in my opinion, and that's the beauty of what James Click did in in Houston. He's no the general manager, but he fortified that bullpen and just the, you know when the games get down to it, they've got six and seven guys that can come in, and none of them get overtaxed like like Craig Kimbrell did. Mm, well, and that's um, that's a, a, a testament to, um, you know, you look at the Houston Astros, and that, that's a testament to a manager that's been there, a team that's been there that, that, that knows how to win in the postseason. Texas Rangers, as good as they were this year, and they had their ups, they had their downs, but as hot as they've been in the postseason, they haven't been there before. They have this team. I mean, Corey Seager. Yes, he's been there. Marcus Simeon has had taste of the postseason in, in his career. But this team, by and large, as a whole, aside from the manager, they they haven't been there before, and they don't have the pieces in the bullpen to do it. The Philadelphia Phillies. I mean, for every as great as they've been the last two years, they fired their manager in the middle of the season last year, and now Rob Thompson. He has he doesn't have two full seasons under his belt, and it's his first taste of man, managerial. Um, success of first taste of anything as a manager does the inexperience there have something to do with it? I guess so more so for the a manager like Rob Thompson because obviously Bruce Bochy has been there and done that and won his share of World Series in the past look I'm a I'm a Phillies guy at this point I picked them kind of midway through this this thing so I'm sort of sticking with them but the Houston Astros are looking very very tough once again right now. So uh, I think it will be the Phillies and the Astros uh, playing for the World Series, uh, which will be a, well, it's our first repeat in a long, long time of the, the two uh, combatants. Um, but uh, we're looking, it looks to me like a Phillies-Houston uh, World Series. Yeah, and that's that's what I'm thinking it's going to be, and it's a testament to the Astros because they they had their struggles at different times this year. They only won 90 games themselves this year, but Sam, once they it, it reminds you like in 2020 when they were 29 and 31, and they've reached Game Seven of the ALCS anyway. Uh, they just have that pedigree, and how much does that work in their favor? The fact that they that they're there year in and year out, and they know what it takes to win in October. That has a lot to do with it. There's no question about it. There's no question about it. And as far as it leads me to my next question before we uh, I know we only have a few minutes left with you. I want to get into some Orioles stuff before we let you go. As yep. far as dynasties are concerned, Stan, the Astros have been there, been to the ALCS seven straight years. If they make it to the World Series, it'll be their fifth World Series in seven seasons. Where do, do they rank amongst the all time dynast dynasties in the sport? 
Um, you know, you have the the '96 to 2001 Yankees, the big red machine of the '70s, the A's of the '70s. You know, you put the Yankees in there from '47 to '53 because they won six World Series in seven years. But that was back when they didn't have the postseason. It was if you had the best, the teams with the best record in the A on the NL squared off after the regular season in the World Series. With that in mind, where do you put the Astros all time? Well, the Astros are probably. Um you know, look, whatever we assessment we make of the Astros, we we can't forget the stench of 2017 when they were caught cheating. Uh, so that will uh, always stain what they've accomplished. But they don't cheat anymore, as far as I can see. Mm-hmm. And they're still right there. You know, in other words, it's nice to make fun of Jose Altuve. You know, I used to be out in the stands when, when they came back in 18 and 19, and I'd say, hey, it's not as easy without the banging the trash cans to know what pitch is coming. But they're not banging the trash cans anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, that team is is just, it's an incredibly difficult lineup to navigate. But again, I think the key thing that they, they've understood through three general managers, and that's Jeff Lunau, James Click, and now Dana Brown, is that importance of the bullpen, mm-hmm. you know. In the postseason, that's what it's all about. It really is because every game, your starter's not going to be in there after the sixth inning, at the latest finishing six innings. It's just uh, the game has changed, and they understood that better. The Phillies have attempted to to mimic what the Astros did. You know, um, Dave Dombrowski is a very, very bright baseball person and he's had another renaissance here in Philadelphia. And he understands it. He's just, in my opinion, he's one, he's one guy short. But they've got, the, they've got the offensive firepower, and Wheeler and Noah are good enough to give them big enough leads in some games with that offense. You know, mm-hmm. In other words, the offense will, will supply the leads, and it really calls upon Thompson not to mismanage. And I think that was, again, I'm repeating myself like callers often do, but, uh, but not really looking at the big picture last night and taking Dominguez out to me was just a huge, huge blunder with a three-run lead. Yeah. Uh, do you think that they went to, to Dominguez too early? Well, again, that's the part of the game I didn't really see. I, I'd really like to understand why they took out uh, Sanchez, like you said. Yeah. Now, again, when, in other words, being proactive in the third inning of a game like that, when it's tied 2-2, two to two, I'd have to know the exact situation that led Thompson to take him out. But it sure didn't, not using, uh, look, I don't know why Tejon Walker is in the doghouse to the extent he is, mm-hmm. but not using an experienced veteran there that you're paying seventeen and a half million dollars, uh, you know, I, I just uh, I don't understand it. I'd have to know a little. That's one of the problems with not following a team day to day up close like I do the Orioles. Yeah, and they that's where teams in the postseason the past. I mean, you look at the the 2014. Um, you look at the 2014 Giants. You look at the 2019 um, Nationals. You look at the Dodgers with with Max Scherzer. That's where the, these these teams bringing in the uh, a starting pitcher in relief. If you're going to go away from your your 
your starter after th- in the third inning or the fourth inning being able, having the wherewithal to bring in a starter who hasn't pitched yet to bridge that gap to the back end of the bullpen, I think it's a smart move, and he, and he didn't seem to do that yesterday. Look, for all I know, we'll, you and I both get off the phone and look at our computers and find out that Tejon Walker's last 40 innings, he's got a 9 ERA. Okay, I don't know that right now, but it sure seems like he was very short-sighted not saying, i got to get some length out of my starter. Then he would have had Huffman in the fifth or sixth, you know, to go to, and he wouldn't have had to jump the sequence. Again, Kimbrell should have been eyed as I can't pitch him more than one batter, you know, mm-hmm. and that would have been against one very tough right-handed batter. So, Yeah, Walker hasn't pitched in, in the postseason. He's been, uh, he has, his, no. His, yeah, his last start came in um, – came on September 30th, and in his uh, five September starts, his ERA was 593, 30 in the third innings okay. in five in five starts. So maybe yeah. that had something to do with it. I, I would, I'm with you, though, Stan. I'd go, I'd go to the then starting why is he on, why, is he, why is he on your post? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's a fair you're question. Paris and you're paying him $17.5 million. Absolutely you know. fair question. One of the great things about it, one of the great things about Earl Weaver is even though it would appear he might be down on somebody, if they were on his roster, he was going to make sure they were part of it. And he never let somebody go. He would never have let somebody in this day and age go from September 30th to not using a pitcher in some regard, you know. Yeah, no, I, I, I can't imagine having a postseason, uh, a player on your postseason roster not using him. It's a waste of a, of a roster spot, that's for sure. Yeah. Sam, yeah. what do you got coming up yeah. this week? I know you got to get out of here. Uh, Ross and uh, Luke and I will chat on Monday, and uh, at some point this week, we're going to recap the Maryland Five Star with uh, Maryland Executive Director of uh, Sports for the State of Maryland, uh, Terry Hazeltine. I'm on the way out there with a couple lovely ladies today. We're going to see the Maryland Five Star uh, Cross Country Day, and uh, it's going to be a big crowd, beautiful weather. And I'm really looking forward to it. Oh, it's a perfect day for that, Stan. Go enjoy yourself. We'll talk to you next week, all right? Okay. Look forward to it, guys. Take care. Bye. That was Stan the Fan Charles, who continues his weekly baseball shows throughout the playoffs and offseason. Every Monday, Stan is joined by former Orioles pitcher Ross Grimsley and Press Box's managing editor Luke Jackson to break down the latest with the Birds. Every Thursday night, Stan and Gary Stein will chat with a different newsmaker from the world of sports. This week, Stan caught up with Maryland five-star rider Buck Davidson and also caught up with Mike Gibbons from the Babe Ruth Museum. You can watch the shows live at Facebook.com slash PressBox or find them the next day at PressBoxOnline.com slash video and YouTube.com slash PressBoxOnline. Zach, you want to sound off on something. What do you got for us today? So I want to look at uh, – can we actually throw it after the break? i, I got to bring up my notes and get ready. Oh, yeah, yeah. We, we, I, okay. yeah we, I was we, not expecting that, so no, my, i, I got to pull up everything. <laughs> no, I got you. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna hit our first break here. I want to remind you today's show is brought to you by – by the Tyus Bowser Show, which is back for Season 3. Tyus and his special guests will join Glenn and Rita all over town throughout the season, giving you the chance to get the inside scoop and rub elbows with your favorite players. The Tyus Bowser Show is a partnership of Press Box and Great Eights Memorabilia and is brought to you by Superbook Sports, AJ Michaels, and HelpMyGamblingProblem.org. For, ne- for more information, visit press- PressBoxOnline.com Bowser. The next Tyus Bowser Show is Tuesday, November 7th at Guilford Hall Brewery 
and Station North. Well, we'll catch a break when we come back in. Zach's going to sound off, and then we'll hit the payoff pitch around the league playoff edition. That's next on the Battle Round. Why bet with the big boys this football season? Instead, try your hand with the local book, Superbook Sports, this fall. Superbook Sports is the book next door. Just a dedicated team of the best odds makers in Las Vegas, making sure you get the best prices and parlays anywhere. And now, Superbook will give you a bonus of up to $250 when you sign up and wager on the same day and use the promo code PRESSBOX23. So bet with the best and use promo code PRESSBOX23 this football season with Superbook. Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Make the most out of every day in your Toyota RAV4. Available in hybrid or gas-only models. A RAV4 can get you where you want to go in style. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new RAV4s from your local Toyota dealer today. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Todd Karpovich profiles the Orioles' survivors. Anthony Santander, Austin Hayes, Cedric Mullins, and Ryan Mancastle, who all came from the previous regime but stuck through tough times to be key pieces in guiding the franchise back to prominence. Also inside, we remember the iconic Brooks Robinson with tributes from Jim Henneman and myself, Stan the Fan Charles, and a trip down memory lane to remember the most significant moments of his career. Plus, we meet players from college basketball programs around the state. Pressbox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Six chicken tenders made from fresh, never-frozen Royal Farms world-famous chicken, a family-sized order of Western fries, honey mustard dipping sauce, and a two-liter bottle of Dr. Pepper. It's Royal Farms' new Tucker's Tenders Meal. It's Justin Tucker's favorite, and at only $19.99, it'll be your favorite meal, too. The new Tucker's Tenders Meal, available only at Royal Farms. Now you can kick back, relax, and eat like a champion. Real fresh, real fast, Royal Farms. Visit Harford County this fall. Celebrate Arts Across Harford September 15th through the 30th with dance, theater, music, and visual arts. September 29th through October 1st is the largest Italian festival in Maryland, featuring entertainment, cooking demonstrations, a bocce tournament, and family fun. If you're headed to the Maryland Five Star, stay and play in Harford County. While you're there, enjoy the scenic views atop the king and queen seats and experience pumpkin patches, corn mazes, and fall brews along their Harford Light Trail. For more info, head to visit Harford.com. Maryland Open. Picking a restaurant to try for the first time? Let's look at the Costas Inn. Here's a few checklist items. Quality of the food? Check. Quality of service? Check. Does restaurant have plenty of free parking? Check. And finally, does restaurant have delicious steamed crabs, crab cakes, crab soup, and specials galore? Check, check, check. Costas Inn, 4100 North Point Boulevard. They check all the boxes. The Baltimore County Police Department is now hiring with competitive salaries, including for experienced police officers, starting salaries between over $68,000 and over $82,000 based on your prior service time, accepting up to seven years of service times with only six weeks in the academy, minimum of two years prior experience. And police cadet starting salaries at over $32,000 must be between the ages of 18 and 20, but you can apply starting at 17 and a half. Must have a high school diploma or GD equivalent at the time of the hire 
hire, U.S. citizen at the time of the hire, and a valid driver's license. So if you have a passion for service and want a career for life, now is the time to join the Baltimore County Police Department. Call 410-887-5542 or visit joinbaltimorecountypd.com. What company has the expertise to make your home healthier by purifying your air and killing all viruses, allergens, and bacteria. A.J. Michaels, Heating and Air Conditioning in Baltimore and Annapolis, ajmichaels.com. All right, welcome back into the batter round. Rolling right along here on a, well, it was a beautiful Saturday. There's some blue in the distance. It's a little odd out there. I don't know. It's like, it's getting a little gray. Getting, getting, getting a little gray. Getting, like my beard. Getting a little gray. <laughs> getting a little, I, I, just, I, for, just for men. <laughs> so I still have just few enough uh, gray hairs in my beard that I can pluck the gray hairs. Maybe it's maybe it's vain. I, I guess it is. I'll I get just, you just for men as a Christmas present. Yeah, I just, start running I, I just um, <laughs> what, you can't handle me on your own? Oh, Jeez, <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, the, 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 I pl- so like, I had three, and my beard's short enough now. That like yeah. when I have three gray hairs, it's very noticeable. Mm-hmm. When it's when it's thicker, they kind of get they they get lost. But I had three in my beard and one in my stash, and then so I <laughs> I, I plucked them. I, I plucked yeah. them because well. until and it's not because I'm ashamed to get gray. I know that the gray is coming, but they're so few and far between that they're more noticeable, and I think it looks sloppy. I think have I think you'll do good with like the salt and pepper look. Yeah, yeah it, it could be it, just for men. When when yeah. when that gets here, hopefully you know when I'm seventy two. You know, yeah, uh, obviously, yeah. you know, um, my my dad did not start going gray until he was almost 50. AJ says, just let the gray grow out. Ed Reed and I did. Well, so. but these grays, it, it, like there's enough there to, to make it OK. The, with yeah. mine, it's like, like, like I said, like three of them. Yeah. And so for me, it's like that to me, that looks sloppy until I until there's more there. I'm not. Uh, you know what I mean? Makes but sense. No, makes sense. I guess it's a little vain. But anyway, move it. You so vain moving on that's not um, Springsteen. no it is not um you want to talk about the veterans committee uh hall of fame ballot is that correct yeah it's actually so i don't know if they renamed it this year but it's actually they're calling it the contemporary baseball era committee now well, instead the, of the i don't know if it used to be called the veterans committee the, the, there's, mul- right? there's multiple committees there's, oh, okay, there's, okay, mul- okay, there's okay. multiple like um when uh Fred McGriff got in last year. I think maybe that was the Veterans Committee. So it was the Veterans Committee, right. I didn't know if they were the same thing or not. No, but anyway, it's different committees. This is the 16-member Hall of Fame board appointed electorates charged with the review of the contemporary baseball era. So these are pl- these are players, managers, and officials that were in the contemporary baseball era is, is the way I gather this. So eight, eight per- people, I shouldn't say players, but eight people nominated. Cito Gaston, Davey Johnson, formerly of the Orioles, Jim Leland, uh, fantastic former manager ed montage i apologize if i say that incorrectly hank peters one of the first gms of the orioles way back when lou Pinella, joe west who we're going to talk about here in a second and bill white bill white being one of the ones that i'm not entirely familiar with but paul any of those names stick out to you that you think should be nominated to the hall of fame davy johnson and jim leland those um, are the two names that stick out to me as well. Those, and Lou Pinella. Those are the two and, and Lou Pinella, but Lou Pinella never won a World Series. No, yes he did. He won a World Series with the Reds. He uh 1990 World Series. Yeah, with with the yep. Cincinnati Reds. Uh, so then Lou Pinella too. Um so you look at and l- let me let me pull up. And not only that, Lou Pinella 116 wins with the Mariners in 01, one of the greatest regular season teams of all time. Yeah, For whatever that's worth. Uh, it's not worth much cuz they lost in the ALCS. <laughs> yeah, they at did. Least, they did. At least they got there. 
Um, at least they got to the ALCS. You know, you went over 100 games and you don't make it to the uh, – you don't make it at least to the next round. Uh, to me, that's a that's that's a fail. But oh, all right, so enough. so so you look at the uh, let's start with Lou Pinella because that's okay. the page I'm so, on right now. Eighteen hundred and thirty-five wins, yep. seventeen hundred and thirteen losses. Um, he the only team that he was sub five hundred with was the Tampa Bay Rays, the, the Devil Rays, and that was back when. That was just a terrible roster and a terrible yeah. team that that had nothing to do with the manager. He got traded there. Um, I can't remember who he got traded for. Maybe it was Mike Cameron. I can't remember exactly who was part of that trade, but he was definitely traded as a manager um, to the Rays from the Mariners for players. Um, but you look at the bulk of his career, 10 years with the Seattle Mariners, 840 wins, 711 losses. Um, that is his best winning percentage with any team. But he won a World Series with the Cincinnati Reds. Yep. 1,800 wins, and to do it with franchises, I mean, he, he managed with the Yankees, okay. Yeah. He managed with the Reds, the Mariners, the Devil Rays, and the Cubs when yep. the Cubs weren't the Cubs, right? Um, also notable, he won two World Series rings with the Yankees in... Uh, as a player. Yes, as a player. As a player. Yep. And he managed the Yankees in the 80s when the Yankees weren't that good. Yeah. Like, the Yankees weren't known as they the Yankees. They were in the early 80s. Uh, but, he, but he managed them in 86 and 87. Yeah. Right? And yeah. you look at the Yankees, and let's go ahead and take a look at the New York Yankees. Sure. Um, just because we can. I, I don't remember the 86 Yankees being a fantastic team. Well, you don't remember anything from 86 no, but since I, you were I, like I, 19 I, years away from being born. I, I have a little bit of history in my head. A little bit of history. A little bit of history. So you go back to the Yankees of the 80s, and, well... Yeah, they they won seventy nine. They went seventy nine, eighty three, and eighty two. Ninety one and seventy one. Eighty seven and seventy five. And then they won uh, ninety seven, ninety, and eighty nine games. Um, yeah, they they weren't like a force, but he meant he was a good manager for a mediocre Yankees team in the nineteen eighties. Uh, he won a World Series with the Reds in nineteen ninety. Then he took a, a team in the the Seattle Mariners where they legitimately thought that the Mariners might move. Yeah. They thought the Mariners might right. move out of Seattle. And then nineteen ninety five he leads them into the ALCS against against there. the Yankees and he saved baseball and he helped yeah. see I mean Ken Griffey Jr. saved baseball in Seattle. Ken Griffey Jr. and Alex Rodriguez as much as I hate A Rod, they saved baseball. Yeah. And Edgar Martinez. They did. Um, but Lou Pinella was a manager of that team. He helped with that. Randy Johnson. Um, he brought baseball back to prom to pro- not back to you. He brought it to prominence in Seattle. Won a World Series with the Reds. He should be in the Hall of Fame. Agreed, hundred percent. I-, I-, I look at uh, Davey Johnson. He won the World Series in 1986 as a manager of the Mets. Yep. Uh, he is the manager of my all-time favorite Orioles team, the 1997 Orioles team, and uh, manager what, of the year in '97 man- as well. And what what happened with him? He should have never left Baltimore as manager. Um, his contract was up, and it was basically a firing because they didn't pick. Um, Peter Angelos didn't want to bring him back. Davey Johnson also manager of the year in 2012. Yeah, with 198 games with the Nationals. Uh, Davey Johnson is one is a manager. He was absolutely fantastic everywhere he went. Never posted a losing. Um, I don't think he ever po- he posted one losing record 
but it was uh, the first half of the 1990 season. Thirteen seventy two and ten seventy one all time for Davy Johnson. Really incredible career. Yeah, yeah Davy Johnson is the one who probably sticks out most to me on this list, just because he has the Orioles background, of course, and I, I know a little bit about him. But Davy Johnson, seventeen seasons, over thirteen hundred wins. Uh, the the guy definitely deserves me the Hall of Fame. Yeah, to me, he was he was a manager who, as a manager, he was absolutely fantastic. Like I, I when I think of Orioles great managers, it's him, Earl Weaver, and Buck Showalter. Right at the top of the list right. there for me. Um, then you look at Jim Leland, Jim Leland, and Jim Leland won almost eighteen hundred games. He lost over seventeen hundred as well, but he he won two pennants. Uh, I'm sorry, three pennants and a World Series championship. And he managed pretty much consistently from 1986 through 2013. Uh, yeah, through 2013. Yep. Jim Leland deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Pirates, Marlins, Rockies, Tigers. Really, yeah. a long career for Jim uh, Leland. Um, and to to manage those franchises and have the success yeah. that he had, uh, because the Pirates not a good franchise anymore. The Marlins, the Rockies, the Tigers. Uh, people, I don't know. If people remember that prior to his time with the Tigers, it, that team was awful. They were really for bad. a really yeah. really long time. Like the, the the Detroit Tigers were when I was growing up, they were perennially yeah one of the worst teams in baseball. It's interesting though. I. I my memory serves me wrong, I guess, because I remember Jim Leland being the manager of the 14 Tigers, but he was not. He was not, uh, interestingly enough. A- ended his career in 13 with the Tigers. But he took them to an AL pennant in 2012, won the World Series once in 1997 with the Marlins. Jim Leland deserves to be in the Hall of Fame as well. Those it's, are the three names that really stick out to me. And it's, it's funny, the, um, the Detroit Tigers... So, like, my baseball memory, I have memories of like the 90, not really the 92 Orioles. I have memories of the 93 Orioles, 94. My, my baseball memory really starts with the 94 Orioles because of that 94 strike. Yeah. And me looking at the TV guide every single year, every, every single night after the strike happened and seeing the Orioles were supposed to be playing and turning on the TV, hoping that they were going to be on and they weren't. Um, that's really when my baseball memory really kicks into high gear. And I just remember the Tigers being terrible. And they absolutely were. From 1994 through 2005, they never posted the winning season. And they lost more than 90 games. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times uh, in those 12 seasons. Uh, so the Tigers were a laughing stock in baseball, much like the 98 to 2011 Orioles. And then Jim Leland comes in in 2006, and they immediately go to the World Series. Yeah. You know, Jim Leland, Davey Johnson, Lou Piniella, they should all be in the Hall of Fame. Totally I, agree. I, I agree. Did you mention Cito Gaston? I did mention Cito Gaston. He's the first player, or first person, not player, uh, but a manager, obviously, who came up on this list. And Cito Gaston, what I have listed here for him, managed 12 seasons, all with the Blue Jays. Toronto back to back World Series titles in 92 and 93. Another guy who probably should be in the Hall of Fame. No, he shouldn't. You don't think so? Back-to-back no. World Series titles no, for a he, manager? No, he shouldn't. Because I don't, I don't for, know. That, for, that's first impressive of all, feat. First of all, the 92, it was, I believe it was the 92, with an, it, maybe the 93, it was 93 Toronto Blue Jays. Paul Molitor, Roberto Alomar, and John Oliver, not in that order, but they finished 1-2-3 in American League batting, for the American League batting title in 1993. John Oliver hit like 363 and won the, won the batting championship batting title but Molitor and Alomar hit each hit like 312 or higher that year um but more importantly than anything else Cito Gaston left Mike Messina in the bullpen in the all-star game in 1993 <laughs> in, in Camden Yards so that's why he should be held back from the Hall of Fame he shouldn't be allowed to have any personal glory <laughs> 
ever. I, I mean, look, ever. After 1993, his teams weren't very good. Uh, they were okay, and until 2010, the, the Toronto Blue Jays went 85 and 77. That was his best season after the world, two World Series championships. Well, he also had a huge I, gap in oh, there. Oh, r- well, for sure. There was a huge 1997 gap. 1997 and 2008. Yeah. Or, there was a huge gap between he came, when he came back to the Toronto Blue Jays. But if I look at a manager who wins back-to-back World Series, that is a really incredibly impressive feat. That's very, very difficult to do. And, you know, he's, he's right up there with uh, what the we were just talking about with the Giants and the dynasty they had where they, they won th- three World Series in four years. That's the kind of thing that Toronto Blue Jays did. They won well, two World Series in two years. That's in incredible. 1991, they were in the ALCS. Now, they lost them five games, but they were there in 1991. Um, that Blue Jays team was very, was very, very good. And Cito Gaston, there's a reason they brought him back to manage in 2008. It's because he was a very good manager. But I'll never, people in Baltimore will never forgive him for not putting Mussina in the game. Yeah. In, in the, <laughs> I well, mean, he was one of the best pitchers in the American League, was his entire career. And the, the game is in Camden Yards. In Camden Yards. And you don't put in the, or, the home team's... Totally, best totally with starting you, best pitcher, best pitcher. Uh, to me, that that's that's managerial malpractice. Managerial malpractice, right there. And that w- one last uh, thing to touch on here, Hank Peters, again, one of the or- early Orioles GMs. Uh, what I have here for Hank Peters spent forty-two years in baseball front offices, starting with the Browns and the Reds before coming the Athletics general manager in 65 general manager of the Orioles uh in the 70s I believe it was won the AL pennant with the Orioles in 79 World Series in 83 so you know there you go that Hank Peters I put him in hasn't has an Orioles background so put, put him in just put him in put him in anybody that played for the, played H- H- the H- Orioles if, H- there? if Hank Peters was a manager he would not have left Moose out of the all-star game no 100% <laughs> would not have left the Moose out of the all-star game and um and then you know, he, he, he just sorry to cut you off, but he also laid the foundation, according to MLB.com, for the 1990s Indian squads that were really, really good. So. Yeah. Speaking of former Orioles that are in the Hall of Fame, Harold Baines absolutely deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. AJ actually mentioned Harold Baines a minute ago. He said, "Well, Harold Baines didn't win a World Series. That's true, but there's also a lot of other guys in the Hall of Fame who didn't win a World Series." Harold, Harold Baines. Now, look, I get it. It's a woulda, coulda, shoulda type of situation. But I, I remember one, when he got elected into the Hall of Fame, and people were complaining about it. I went back and I looked at his entire career, and if he had averaged one more hit a month for his career, one one more hit a month for his career, he would have been in, he would have been he would have had three thousand hits, and he would have been in the Hall of Fame. I mean, when you look at that, that's maybe a a a forty two mile an hour ground ball that just gets past the pitcher. You know what I mean? Or a pop up that gets lost in the lights and falls behind a, a first baseman. A, a hit's a hit. Right and the or a ground ball that dies a, a a bunt or a ground ball that's slow that dies on the chalk, right? Yeah, a base hit's a base hit no matter how you get it. If he gets one more bleeder in each month of his career, he he has three thousand hits. That dude to me, uh, yeah, he didn't hit five hundred home runs. You know, he never won a batting title, but he hit over three hundred every year. Yeah, smooth swing, just was an absolutely fantastic hitter. Harold Baines is a Hall of Famer to me. That was a guy who got the job done. I remember the Orioles won a game one time. And Mike Mussina started. They won one to nothing. Mike Mussina threw a complete game shutout. The Orioles got one hit. And that one hit was a Harold Baines home run. 
Yeah. And they won the game one nothing. Not that that matters for anything. It doesn't make his Hall of Fame argument. That, that one hit didn't put him in the Hall of Fame. But that's just right. who Harold Baines was. He was that guy that you could depend on night in and night out. If he was in the lineup, you knew he was going to do Her- something. Harold Baines, based on the numbers, I, I didn't really get the chance to watch Harold Baines, but based on the numbers, he's a Hall of Fame. I loved Harold Baines. He's a Hall of Fame. I loved Harold Baines. Such a good hitter, man. It's such oh, a pretty yeah. I mean, swing. So smooth. 289, 356, 465 slash line, 384 home runs, almost 2,900 hits. The guy's a Hall of Fame. Yeah, absolutely. In my, in my humble opinion. A lot of people say well, he would make the hall of very good. Your your mom makes the hall of very good. All right. Wow. Yeah, I'm not talking to anybody specifically, so that's not it's not rude. It's not rude. It's not rude. Unless you are one of those people that says he makes the hall of very good. My my dad my, my dad's been making a joke by the way, and he says that all the time. That's one of his favorite expressions when it comes to sports. He's in the hall of very good players. Is that and how so he feels about Harold Baines? We we have a we have a shed in our in our backyard, all the way in the back, and uh, he's is al- it is it the hall of very good? Is that what you guys call it? He's always joked that he's going to make it in one day into the hall of very good players, and he's going to make his own very hall of very good players. So that's so funny. He makes that bad joke in, every, in, a, in, a lot. In the shed in the backyard. Yeah, in the shed in the backyard. So everyone can come to it like like Cooperstown. So I want to talk a little bit about, um, we don't need to do the payoff pitch around the league because there were two games last night. We've already talked Fair in enough. detail about what happened with those games. Um, but I do want to do a little bit of Orioles banter before we get Connor Newcomb on. And I'm willing to do a short segment for it because we're going to talk about so much with Connor anyway. Um, sure. You know, but I, I want to, we didn't get to talk about it in our intro. We didn't get to talk about it with Stan. But there was a three gold glove finalist. Mm-hmm. And they're not who you thought they would be. No. If you had asked me to take a to take a stab at it, I would have said Gunnar Henderson, Adley Rutschman, and Cedric Mullins. No. Yeah. Adley Rutschman's the only one I would have gotten right. Adley's a, a gold glove finalist as a catcher. Austin Hayes in left field. And people always talked about Austin Hayes. Like, he looked like a better outfielder than he was because his range wasn't great. Um, and he made he made things look a little bit more... Like, r- balls that you would think would be routine, he wouldn't make plays on. Or he would have a hard time getting there. He was phenomenal in left field. I thought he was better this year than he was last, for he, sure. The, the some of the plays that he made, and when they when he was out, there, it's so funny because I I remember when McKenna dropped that ball mm-hmm. in left field, uh, uh, the second game of the year against the Red Sox, and I and you watch Ryan McKenna, he catches the ball, and I've said this on the show before, mm-hmm. above his left shoulder, yeah. next to his ear, right. There's no way. That you can watch that ball into the glove. No. From that angle. Austin Hayes catches a ball above his forehead every single time. Unless he has to make like a running play or a diving play, he catches the ball above his head every single time. Anytime there was a ball hit to left field, I knew Austin Hayes was going to catch it. He, he gets under the ball in a textbook manner. Yes. It's it's not, Ryan McKenna does, is not textbook. Yeah. And, and then the, the diving play on a ball that I. It should have never been caught. The the one that Vladdy hit in Toronto that saved the mm-hmm. game for the Orioles. Oh yeah, that that ball should have never been he caught. He laid out. It was yeah. absolutely spectacular. Tons of diving catches running towards the line. Tons of leaping catches up against the wall. He everything that he could get to, he caught. Yeah, he was absolutely. And, and it is no small task to play left field in front of that wall. Yeah. No, it's, it isn't. It, it is no small task. It, it's probably the hardest place to play left field in the major leagues. Yeah, that and, and Fenway. And Fenway, yeah, the, the, that's true. Fenway's that's true. really, really tough, too. Not that I've ever played... I've played left field uh, at JetBlue Park. Okay. Um, huh. in, in front of that big wall in the Roy Hops World Series. Actually, I have a bunch of friends playing in that currently. I think today's the last day of the tournament. I remember, uh, just a quick side story, when I was in high school, we went to the Ripken Complex in Aberdeen where mm-hmm. there is a model of Fenway Park, but it's not. It's a Little League field. Yeah. So it's like, I don't know, 
180 to the to the wall, not even probably. 180? 180. 180. Well, what's Fenway's like, what, two something it says it's field. 305 it's like 290 it's not yeah it's, it's like 290 but this was like 200 maybe 190 maybe yeah. less and i just remember we were just like hitting bombs over that wall mm-hmm. <laughs> well before like we, we were playing on yankee yankee stadium field mm-hmm. which is like one of the actual high school size fields and it's regular but yeah, i played on that and i just played yeah. on it a couple of weeks ago in that tournament but i, I remember it. just being there that wall was it's still it's the same size as it is in Fenway, and it's it's incredible. Playing yeah. left field in that kind of place is just really difficult. It's 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 really hard. I watched a guy when I was playing down there at JetBlue. Um, I was playing right field at this, which is also a difficult mm-hmm. spot to play in Fenway. I was playing right field, and I watched this dude. He hits a bomb off of our pitcher. Yeah. And it, it would have been gone anywhere, except it hit in the middle of that wall, and the thud that it made when it hit that wall, it was like, it was like definitely, doom. Yeah. It was a... Uh, Anyway, it's really difficult to play. So Adam, so Austin Hayes um, is the Gold Glove finalist for left field, and then you have Ryan Mountcastle at first base. Yeah. Ryan Mountcastle, and, and here's the thing: people argue with me about this. I think he's a better defensive first baseman than Ryan O'Hearn is. It's. I think that's debatable. I, I I I do, and I, I I saw Ryan O'Hearn not come up with balls that Ryan Mountcastle comes up with. I yeah, but then again, vice versa. But like, but, but you but, can talk about it the other way but too. I don't think you can. And uh, the thing that, about Ryan O'Hearn, I think he gets the Derek Jeter treatment. I think he gets a treatment that because he was such a good hitter for the Orioles this year, that people overlooked his defensive gaffes to the point where. They thought that he was a good. They they reconciled that he's a good defender because they wanted him in the lineup. That's a fair argument to make. That, because they wanted him in the, yeah. in the lineup. I saw two or three different occasions where a guy reached first base because a ball hit Ryan hit Ryan O'Hearn in the glove in the air and he didn't catch it. Yeah, uh, just on, to, on a throw, uh, it, like and he just didn't catch it. Uh, that doesn't happen with Ryan Mountcastle. Ryan Mountcastle picks more balls in the dirt at first base. Uh, uh, O'Hearn made some great plays. He made some really bad plays that Mountcastle doesn't make. But so I look, I look at this, and I talked about it maybe two years ago, where I, I was just like, I really don't care about the Gold Glove because what constitutes getting a Gold Glove? What do they base this off of? Right. That like, I, I genuinely want to know what do they? What it's are, a popular, what are they looking at. It's a popularity contest. I remember one year Alex Rodriguez, um, I think he won MVP, and Derek Jeter was awarded the gold glove, and it felt to me like that that year specifically, because Alex yeah. Rodriguez was a great defensive shortstop. He was. That, that year, it felt to me like they said, all right, Alex won the MVP. We're not going to give him a gold glove, too. we got to give Jeter something. Right. We'll give Jeter the gold right. glove. And, and the same thing happened in 96, where Alex Rodriguez was a better player mm-hmm. in 96 than Derek Jeter was. So, but... I'm sorry, Rodriguez wasn't a rookie in '96, so I'm gonna I'm gonna wipe that away. Go ahead. And I'll take. Maybe some people disagree with me on this, but I look at Chris Davis. I think Chris Davis should have won multiple Gold Gloves. I think he was an excellent defensive he first baseman. He absolutely was. He was excellent. Never won a Gold Glove. He was finalist a couple so times. It, he was. But if Ryan Mountcastle wins a Gold Glove and Chris Davis didn't, he's not. Anthony Rizzo is going to win. The gold you're glove. right. Anthony Rizzo, a popularity contest. He's yeah. in New York and he's going to win. But and he's really, really a good first baseman. I, I look at Chris Davis and that's what I remember a great first baseman being. I look at Ryan Mountcastle and I don't see the same. I don't see the same level of play. I yeah. just I just don't. But people would argue. I mean, people were arguing that Ryan, that, that Mark Reynolds should have been the Orioles' first baseman in 2013 because <laughs> yeah, because fair. when they moved him over there, when Manny came up in 2012, he made some really great picks at he first did. base. 
Chris Davis, people said, oh, Chris has, Chris has stone hands. He can't catch the ball over there. He can't play first base. He had a 995 career fielding percentage oh, of first base in his Chris career. And then he saved a number of games for the Orioles. I mean, that that 2013 team, he hit 53 home runs. The Orioles went 81 and 81. Without him playing first base, they, they don't finish with a 500 record. He, he was excellent. And maybe towards the end of his career, things were different. But you look at the, the, the prime years of Chris Davis, he was an excellent even first when, baseman. Even when he wasn't hitting towards the end of his career, career he still was a really good defensive oh, yeah. first base no doubt he was still but no Ryan Mountcastle not gonna win it Austin Hayes I think deserves to win it I think he deserves it what he did in left field this year it was at, it, he was spectacular and then Adley Rutschman I'm not gonna sit here and pretend to know who all the great catchers are in the American League um but Adley Rutschman in my, in my opinion he deserved I, I think he had one pass ball all year he he yeah he absolutely so. deserves to win a, a gold glove. Look, the arm left a lot to be desired this year. There, yeah. There's no mistaking that. But he handled a pitching staff that their ERA got better after Felix Bautista went down. There's a reason this team hasn't been swept in the regular season since Adley got here, and there's a reason that the pitching has been better since Adley got here because Adley's that yeah, good of a catcher. I, I, there's no doubt. If Ad, I think Adley and Hayes deserve to win. And we always say that the Gold Glove is a popularity contest, but name a place outside of Baltimore where Austin Hayes and Ryan Mountcastle are popular. I don't know. I mean, I mean, Austin Hayes went to the All-Star game this year, and he started the All-Star game, but do people know who Austin Hayes is really outside of Baltimore? Probably not. Because he, Probably was, he not. was a manager pick Yeah, for, for the All-Star team. Yeah. Austin Hayes, if he were on the Cubs or something like that, he would be really well-known, Yeah, I think. Maybe. Probably not. You don't it, think so? it, no, it would have to take like the Dodgers, the Red Sox, maybe, or the maybe, Yankees. Maybe. I, I don't think the Austin hate, especially with, with what happens to him in the second half. We really got to catch a break because we were supposed to be Connor on right now, and I got to catch a break. We can't do two breaks with him on. Want to remind you, today's show is brought to you by the Baltimore County Police Department, which is hosting a hiring event next Saturday, October twenty eighth. It's going to take place at the Baltimore Safety Building, that's at seven hundred East Joppa Road in Towson. Applicants can complete multiple parts of the hiring process, including agility testing, written testing, and the ability. To, plot, to apply on the spot. Uh, members of our specialized units will be in attendance to further discuss career opportunities with the police department. And starting in the afternoon, there will also be a trunk or treat event that is open to the community, even if you're not interested in joining the BCPD. To find out more information, contact their office at 410-887-4584 or 410-887-5521. Uh, we're going to catch a quick break. When we come back in from the Locked On Orioles podcast, Connor Newcomb joins the show. That's next. The Baltimore County Police Department is now hiring with competitive salaries, including for experienced police officers, starting salaries between over $68,000 and over $82,000 based on your prior service time, accepting up to seven years of service times with only six weeks in the academy, minimum of two years prior experience. And police cadet starting salaries at over $32,000 must be between the ages of 18 and 20, but you can apply starting at 17 and a half. Must have a high school diploma or GD equivalent at the time of the hire, U.S. citizen at the time of the hire, and a valid driver's license. So if you have a passion for service and want a career for life, now is the time to join the Baltimore County Police Department. Call 410-887-5542 or visit joinbaltimorecountypd.com. Gambling can be a fun and entertaining experience, but there are risks involved. If you're planning on betting on the game at the casino or on your phone or computer, know your limit, stay within it. Set a budget and a time to stop. Remember, gambling isn't a financial solution and it doesn't mix well with alcohol or drugs. Know the risks and have a plan before you begin gambling. 
For free and confidential services, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org. The Maryland Five Star returns to iconic Fair Hill October 19th to 22nd, marking the next chapter in Maryland's equestrian tradition. Best described as the triathlon of horse eventing, you won't want to miss this thrilling sport. Enjoy a fall festival with local fair, retail vendors, and tons of family fun. Come for the event and stay for the experience in Cecil County, home to the Chesapeake Bay waterfront with vibrant small towns and accommodations to suit every desire. It's the place to be in October. Visit Maryland5star.us for tickets. Come for a game, stay for everything else. Book an unforgettable fall getaway in Charm City. Enjoy only in Baltimore festivals, mouthwatering eats, and endless entertainment. Treat yourself to a staycation in the heart of downtown or try one of the city's many charming neighborhood hotels. And don't miss out on packages for free parking, breakfast, and more. Plan your stay at Baltimore.org slash hotels. Why bet with the big boys this football season? Instead, try your hand with the local book, Superbook Sports, this fall. Superbook Sports is the book next door. Just a dedicated team of the best odds makers in Las Vegas, making sure you get the best prices and parlays anywhere. And now, Superbook will give you a bonus of up to $250 when you sign up and wager on the same day and use the promo code PRESSBOX23. So bet with the best and use promo code PRESSBOX23 this football season with Superbook. Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Picking a restaurant to try for the first time? Let's look at the Costas Inn. Here's a few checklist items. Quality of the food? Check. Quality of service? Check. Does restaurant have plenty of free parking? Check. And finally, does restaurant have delicious steamed crabs, crab cakes, crab soup, and specials galore? Check, check, check. Costas Inn, 4100 North Point Boulevard. They check all the boxes. What's up, everyone? It's Tyus Bowser, and I've had so much fun hanging out with Rita and putting up with Glenn the last couple years that I've decided to do it again. Season three of the Tyus Bowser Show is happening this year as we'll be all over town, giving you the chance to get to know me and some of my teammates. As we talk football, life in general, and just say what needs to be said, you can find out more about the show by going to pressboxonline.com slash Bowser. If you don't live in the area, you can watch the shows live on Facebook and YouTube. And if you miss one, you can listen Friday nights at 105.7 a fan. So we'll see you all season long for the Tyus Bowser Show a partnership of Pressbox and Great Ace Memorabilia. The next Tyus Bowser show is Tuesday, November 7th at Guilford Home Brewery in Station North. It's brought to you by A.J. Michaels, Superbook Sports, and HelpMyGamblingProblem.org. Back in here on a Saturday morning on the bat around. A lovely day. The blue skies are back. The The little whatever cell that was where it didn't rain but it was just overcast that is seems to have been passed beautiful day today uh zach asked me during the break so my wife is uh pregnant and she's well beyond i think she's 27 weeks today 27 or 28 weeks today uh pregnant with our daughter whose name remains to be um announced um we've had a name picked out since she was about four weeks Mm. but we are not announcing it till the 18th my wife sends me a little picture from her app that shows us how big our daughter is. And um, last week, she was the size of a cabbage. And this week, she is the size of a head of lettuce. And I'm like, do better, app. They're like the same thing. That is the same thing. They're, they're, they're like there's no, the, there's no they're, difference. They're, they're like the same size. 
So maybe she didn't grow that much in a week. I, mean, I, I mean, I guess not. Maybe she did. I don't know. It's funny because my wife tells me that she can always feel her. And she's like, here, put your hand on my stomach. You'll be able to feel her. And I think I maybe, maybe felt her last night for the first time because she's still itty bitty in there. Sure. Um, just ahead of it, But it, I couldn't tell if I was feeling her or if I was just pressing hard enough on the belly that I could feel the pulse in the pad of my hand. Maybe. But I can't feel the pulse. I think it may have been her. So I may have felt my daughter for the first time last night. That's cute. Yeah, it's cute. Cute. That's cute. Um. Anyway, we won't do a read right now. We got. We only have two left, and we have a couple of uh, we have another break and some opportunities. But joining us now on the show from the Locked On Orioles podcast, he is the one, the only Connor Newcomb. Connor, good morning. How are you, man? I am great. How are you too? We're doing well. Sorry if we bored you talking about the size of my daughter right now. Um, but Zach specifically asked, and usually we announce it on the show. But I haven't talked about it in a couple of weeks. I have to ask. It, it's part of the show, you know. It's it part is. of the show. I, I remember when she was a large onion or a sweet potato. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I think the next Just week. A few the, weeks ago. I think the, the, the next week after the sweet potato, they compared her to a normal potato. So it's like, well, they're the same thing. Yeah. They're, they're the same size. Uh, anyway, Connor, getting to <laughs> more important things as far as this show is concerned. Did you watch both of those games last night, man? I did. Um, I sat down and pretty much watched every pitch of those two. Wow, that's that's dedication, Holmes. Um, I I watched both, but I I I'd be lying if I said I watched each of the games in their entirety. Um, I have been addicted to the show Suits, and after uh, a long day of making phone calls yesterday, I watched a, bit, a good bit of Suits before turning the game on in the sixth inning, just in time to see. Uh, um, Adoles Garcia hit that big three-run homer, and then see the the hit by pitch in the eighth inning that led to the dust up and three the manager and two players getting ejected, and then the Altuve three-run homer. The, Connor, n- nothing major happened in that game, right? Absolutely, just a normal run-of-the-mill baseball game. Yeah, very normal game. I mean, to be honest, like we have kind of been waiting for that, right? In the playoffs, like, mm-hmm. there hasn't really been the big swings, the big home runs, the kind of tense moments, um, and I mean, that's one of the big reasons why I watched so much of both those games. I mean, we probably got two, maybe the two best games of the postseason, except for maybe Philly's Braves game two, both on one day, which was nice. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was awesome. And then seeing Altuve, I've said this a couple times on this show today, Connor. If you didn't know that that Jose Altuve was hitting a home run uh, in that at bat in the ninth inning last night, you have not been watching the Astros or Jose Altuve for the last seven years. I mean, that's a guy who just shows up time and time again in the postseason with clutch hits, clutch home runs, 26 home runs, second all-time in postseason history. Uh, where does Jose Altuve rank for you amongst the best postseason performers in baseball, in baseball history? I mean, for me, like just with the, you know, amount of time that I've been this into baseball, he's up in probably the top three of players that have dominated the postseason. Now it helps that his team has been, you know, put one game away from being in four World Series now, so he's playing a lot of postseason games, but he's been essentially the leadoff or number two hitter for this really, really good Astros team now for six, seven years that's been in the postseason. And you know, that Altuve is going to have those big swings. I think we've had a lot of guys who have had like incredible postseasons themselves, like the David Freezes of the world and you know the Corey Seager in 2020 and Randy Rosarena, um, and guys who have dominated for a bit. But Altuve does it every single year. I mean, I don't know if there's been a year where he's really been down in the postseason. And that's just incredible because it should be a little bit random. Like The sample size is so much smaller 
that you should have stretches where you don't hit well in the playoffs and he just seems to come up big and you know it does it does make it a little funny with what went on with the Astros and I saw a lot, a lot of discourse about this last night it's just like you see how good this team is you see how incredible he is in the postseason like what why did they feel the need to do what they did with how talented this team is and continues to be and how talented he is as a player and he is kind of I think at this point with you know Correa gone kind of the face of the you know the trash can banging scheme and you look at him and you're like you didn't need to do any of that right yeah it, it's it's a fair question something that I've wondered a lot of times I find like last year I found myself rooting for the Astros because I wanted them to win a World Series again so that people could put it to bed. Because, Connor, I'm not naive enough to think that the Astros were the only team cheating, trying to get the upper hand by doing something that was dishonest on the baseball field. I I don't believe that that's the case. I believe that the team that did something so egregious that they got caught, right? Um, So for me, the question has always come up, why did you do it when you didn't need to? And so for them winning a World Series last year, potentially getting back to another one this year, it'll be their fifth one in seven seasons if they make it back to the World Series. To me, it's just it was like vindication that look, this team's still really, really good. You can hate them all they want, but they're really freaking good. Uh, Do you kind of have that same feeling as I do, where it's like I you I wanted them to win just so that people would know they were good enough to not have to do it. Yeah, I don't know if I was outwardly cheering for that. I mean, I was definitely cheering for them to get to the World Series and take out the Yankees last year. Mm-hmm. Um, no doubt about that one. I was definitely cheering for the Phillies in the World Series, but I do understand like the vantage point there, and I'm kind of okay that they won, because I think people did need to see, like, hey, they didn't just win in 17 because of what they did. Like, this team is incredibly built, and, you know, the fact that the Orioles' front office is comprised of people who came from Houston, and it's nice to see that, hey, you know, we didn't just hire people who came from a team who won one World Series because they cheated. We hired people away from an organization that has built this Astros team into the winningest club in the majors, basically, in almost the last decade at this point. So it, it is kind of a little bit of nice Orioles-centric vindication as well. Well, and I think I need to, to uh, retrace my steps here a little, take a step back from what I just said, because I did want the Phillies to win the World Series because my stepdad's from Philly. Um, my two two of my best friends in the world are from Philly, and I'm a big Bryce Harper guy. But I think I, I, I had told myself, whoever wins, I'm not going to be upset because of those because of those reasons. So let me let me rephrase what I was saying there. Now this year, I think I'm pulling for the Astros, Connor, because the Rangers beat the Orioles, and I don't want the Rangers to win the World Series. But then on the other hand, if the Rangers win the World Series, The Orioles lost to the World Series champs. As an Orioles fan, who do you root for in this postseason from the American League? I'm just rooting for the Rangers, honestly, more so because, you know, a little bit of Astros fatigue at this point. Like, we've seen the Astros time and time again in the World Series. Um, We know what Minute Maid Park looks like in the World Series. And I guess we kind of know what Globe Life Field looks like in the World Series because that's what they played it in 2020. Yeah. But, you know, I'd like to see this Rangers team. And there is a little bit of, like, you know, if you get knocked out by the team that wins the World Series, especially as good as the Rangers looked before these three games. You know, I was at the point back when the Rangers took the 2-0 lead where I was like, nobody's going to stop this team. Like, you know, not as much on the Orioles now. Now we see, you know, what's kind of wrong with this team, and that's, you know, a bullpen that's, um, isn't quite up to the standard of the rest of the team left in the postseason. But in the American League, I'm I'm pulling for the Rangers. And, I mean, I would say in the National League, I don't care as much who comes out. I'd be perfectly fine with either of those teams 
winning the World Series, but I do really want to see World Series games at Citizens Bank Park again because it is just rocking in there. Mm-hmm. And what would I think be unfortunate if the D-backs do win this series is that we're going to potentially get an all-indoors World Series, and I do uh, not want that at all. I think that looks really bad on TV, and I don't want that. No, I agree with you. I didn't even think about that, but it, it does look really bad on TV. There's something about that outdoor environment and still having that decibel level, even though you're outside. Um, that, that's just kind of like magical. It's, it's postseason baseball. Postseason baseball is supposed to be played in 50-degree temperatures yeah. at game time in October in outdoor ballparks, I completely agree with you there, Connor. Zach, you have I don't. Yeah, I don't think anyone's going to beat that Phillies crowd. Like the the first couple games that the Phillies uh, had at Citizens Bank was just unbelievably electric. That would be nice to see that outside the World Series. Now, Connor, let me let me ask you this. So, so first and foremost, I can't root for the D backs. I can't do it. They they they've won eighty four games this year. I thought they were one of the weaker teams going into the postseason. Now they're two wins away from the World Series. Not to mention the fact that they won. They lost 110 games two years ago. The Orioles won 101 this year and got swept in the ALDS. I don't. It, I'm very much like my father in this aspect, Connor. I just I don't want to see the Diamondbacks do it before the Orioles do, and maybe that's selfish, but that's just how I feel. You you don't care either way though who win who gets there from the National League. Yeah, I'm pulling a little bit more for the Phillies just because I know more people personally that would be happy if the Phillies won. And I also want to see the World Series there. So I'm definitely pulling for the Phillies in the NLCS. But I will say, I I think if it's Arizona in the World Series, I think I'll be rooting for the D-backs just because the upset scenarios and it feels like it's going to be the Astros. So if it is Astros, D-backs, I'll probably be pulling for Arizona. I get that point of view. Um, It feels like, you know, the Diamondbacks won basically 20 less games than the Orioles this year. And are going to be the team that could end up in the World Series. Um, but, you know, the D-backs have a, a pretty likable bunch. It's a really interestingly put-together squad. Um, they've got, I think, three former Orioles on that team as well. Um, so some guys that we had seen in Baltimore could win a ring. But I, I'm definitely, out of the four teams left, it's, it's Phillies for me. Yeah, uh, it's got to be Phillies for me, too. Uh, should we have known that this was coming from the Phillies? Like, I, I remember saying at the beginning of the year that I thought the Phillies would start slow and finish strong and potentially make it back to a World Series. And, you know, and that's what they did because they didn't get Bryce Harper back until May. Trey Turner didn't start get, didn't really start to get going until after the All-Star break. Um, you know, Aaron Nola wasn't who he was supposed to be. Taiwan Walker wasn't who he was supposed to be. But they got really hot the second half. And yet we crowned the Atlanta Braves at like the beginning of August. They're the best team in baseball. Their roster is absolutely loaded. They hit over 300 home runs. They've got the pitching. They've got the bullpen. This team is the World Series champions. And then the Phillies take them in four in four games in the NLDS. Did we not credit the Phillies enough for just how good they are? Yeah, I think the Phillies being so good ran under the radar because they were so far behind in the NLE. Mm-hmm. Like the Phillies played so well in the second half, and they still finished 10-plus games behind the Braves. Yeah. Like, that Braves team, I mean, I said it, I think the last time I was on, we did, like, the power rankings, and I had the Braves number one, and I just said, like, this might be the best regular season and the best built team we've seen in a while, just because of how incredible. I mean, offensively, numbers-wise, like, only, I believe, the 27 Yankees were better as a team offense ever than mm-hmm. this Braves team, which is ridiculous. And so you looked at that and you said, yeah, they have some starting pitching injuries coming down the pipe, but like they've still got some pitching and they won two years ago. So they showed they can do it. And I just thought, you know, the offense, the home runs do play in the playoffs. And I just thought this would be the team, but we probably underestimated the Phillies a little bit because of what you said, Harper being out for a while and, and 
once Trey Turner got it going, that's when I think people should have started to kind of turn back to, okay, Philly could do um, what they did last year because they got this guy who has, you know, an 11-year, $300 million contract, giving him nothing for four months, um, and now he's back to the Trey Turner. We know he can be. Um, and, and I will say, like, you know, if you're looking at, at starting pitching too, like is, with the way Nola's pitching, like is there a better one too? Is there a better one, two, three than Wheeler, Nola, Suarez right now in the mm-hmm. postseason? Like I don't, I don't think so with the way they're pitching. So it, it's certainly probably people overlooked him, but it is tough to look at a team in the standings that's 14 games back of first place and say, I think that team's winning the World Series. Yeah, and that's that's a fair point. I just remember thinking in the beginning of the year, if they get healthy and they turn it on in the second half, this team is, they could get back to the World Series. Now, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back here or, any, or anything like that. It's just that the season kind of played out. Not that, I thought that the Braves would handle them. I thought it would go reverse, that the Braves would win in four games, and it, it they didn't. The, the Phillies just came in red hot, and they just kept it going. And it leads me to, Connor, the five best records in baseball this year when a combined 1-13 in the postseason. Those Braves, the only team to win a postseason game. Does that make you second-guess the playoff format where the best teams seem to, where the best teams get that by? I mean, if you save for the, um, oh my gosh, I'm sorry, the, the Brewers and the Rays, the other best teams get that by. They're all for five days before they ever play another baseball game. Do you think that that's a disadvantage, and do you think that there should be some tweaking to this playoff format? I mean, there is actually like some research out there about the amount of rest that you want before it becomes rust. And it, it seems like around three days is like the sweet spot, especially for a, a base, long baseball season where you're playing almost every day. Mm-hmm. So I do get the argument like five days is too long. But what I will say is it feels like a lot of the pushback against the format has come mostly from the fans and the media. Sure. And I feel like if you ask the players, they want the five days, mm-hmm. like especially teams to not just set their pitching rotation, but to get their pitchers rested. And the Orioles were able to rest their arms at the end of the regular season, too. But imagine if the Orioles had finished the season with that stretch where they had the 17 games in a row and the bullpen was completely taxed. Imagine how amazing those five days off would have been for the Orioles right there just to reset the entire team. You get your young players a break. You know, it's a long season. You can recoup. And, you know, you look at the Astros, and they're the kind of next best team of that group. And didn't really affect them. You know, they just continue to play great baseball and I get it. They've been there, done that more than anybody else in the playoffs. They played the twins. But yeah, for, for me, it's kind of like you got to figure out a way so that five days off doesn't completely crumble your season. Like if you're talented enough to win 101 games, you should be able to find a way to stay active. And I think the Orioles did what they could. They kept the workouts going, you know, they only took one full day off that Monday and then they got right back to the ballpark. Um, and I just don't know if there's a perfect way. I also think my outlook on this year specifically has been that I think it was weird this year because every single wildcard series was a sweep and nobody had to play on that Thursday. And so every single wildcard team, all they had to do, their only disadvantage rotation wise was game one of the division series where they were throwing a number three starter and the other team was throwing their number one but immediately they got to throw their number one again in game two and basically set up their rotation just like the other team would. If any of those series go to game three, like that is a completely different outlook we're looking at there. Like if Rangers Rays goes to game three, the Rangers probably use 
Bikini and Dunning combination for game three. They don't have John Gray. They don't have Scherzer. They're probably either doing a bullpen game or starting Martin Perez or Cody Bradford in game one of the ALDS. And that series looks kind of completely different at that point because they have to go to a really bad bullpen early in the series. And I think a lot of it was just the fact that None of the series went three games, and that gave an advantage to the teams that got those two-game sweeps. God, that's just such an excellent point. It's just such an excellent point, and you don't really think about it. No team, no game, no series made it to three games. You're absolutely correct. So then you can line it up the way you wanted to, and that's that's just I never even thought about it that way. Every time I have you on the show, Connor, you come up with a point that I never even thought of that makes absolutely perfect sense. And I'm like, man, Connor should be hosting the show, but um, it's. it's- it's at the point now where when you host a podcast five days a week, I'm doing so much talking that I just, I form these points throughout the podcast on the mm-hmm. week. And when I come on on Saturday, I'm like, all right, another audience to, uh, to display it to. There you go. There you go. It's, it's the, the, it's like, like the, uh, like the baseball playoffs. You want to stay active and you want to keep things going to stay fresh. You don't right. need the time off. Yeah. Exactly. I can't have too many days off. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, and, and that's the thing I never really, when people were, were bitching about the format, I said, look, the format is the format. You want to win your division. It's up to you to go out there and find ways to win ball to win the ball game. At the end of the day, your team won 101 games. You should be able to find ways to win baseball games and at least get to the championship series. Orioles weren't able to do that. Braves weren't able to do that. Dodgers weren't able to do that. And now you look at it, all those teams are sitting on the sidelines after going combined 1-13. and 13. And here's the other point that I have to make about it, Connor, and that is you can come to me with this problem. You can say, I don't like the format, blah, 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 blah. Well, what's your solution to fix it? Because if you don't have a solution to fix it, then what are we? Then we're arguing to a wall. Because it's not you're not yeah. going to go you're not going to go back to the one game format. Nobody wants that. It's not fair to have, to play to bust your hump for 162 games in 180 days. Play your ass off and then get and then have your your fate determined by one game in the postseason. That's not fair. And if you want to if you want it to be where every team has to play immediately, you're going to have to add two more postseason teams. And maybe you do that when you if you, when you expand to 32 teams. I think we all know that's coming, but it's not here yet. And if you're only going to have six. If you're going to have six postseason teams with people think it's already too watered down, you're going to have to have two buys. Otherwise, the numbers don't work out. So if you don't have a solution, then what are we yelling about, right? Yeah. And and the only thing I think I would change potentially is just make the division series seven games. Yeah. I think that evens out more with you know how many games you play. And the longer a series goes, the more likely the better team is to win. Um, and I get that the Major League Baseball postseason, it's never been about crowning the best team. Since they went beyond just two pennant winners playing in the World Series, it's never really been about the best team winning. It's been about entertainment. And we get that. It's a different brand of baseball in the postseason. But I think the DS going to seven games, like you don't really need to build out that many more days of postseason baseball to go to seven games. And to be honest with you, this is like more of an overarching opinion, but I wouldn't mind if we played 152 games and then had a seven-game division series. Like, I really would not mind that, to have a little bit more playoff baseball and a little bit less regular season baseball, if that's how it happened. Or maybe a couple less off days in the postseason, so the playoffs look more like the regular season. I mean, the Rangers basically used Eovaldi and Montgomery, I believe, for six out of their first eight playoff games. They were able to use Montgomery and Eovaldi. Like, that's ridiculous. You shouldn't be able to do that. But here we are. Yeah, no, I I agree with you, and I don't understand... I guess I understand it for scheduling purposes, but uh, having 
uh, division series, two different division series. You play the first game, the next day is a day off, and then you play the second game, and then the next day is a day off because then you have to travel to the other city. You don't need to do that. So there's there's no need for that. There's I think that the seven day the seven game division series is really the only tweak. Now here's my question for you. You understand this stuff a lot better than I do. Can they make tweaks to the postseason format? before this collective bargaining agreement is up? Because isn't that uh, bargained into that agreement? Yeah, I believe it is. Although the postseason, it could be one of those things where, because they leave things in the CBA negotiable year to year, Mm -hmm. um, and the commissioner also has power to implement certain things year to year. So, like, for example, if Rob Manfred were in the next two years to implement some sort of automated ball strike system, he is allowed to do that without like a new CBA. Okay. And so I wonder if the playoff format, I don't know this, but it could be under that same umbrella in the CBA where the commissioner has power to do things that don't have to be collectively bargained. So, but I'm just not sure if the playoff format falls into that category. Yeah, It's an interesting thought. It was the first thing that came to my mind when everybody started complaining about the playoff format. Like They need to change it next year. I think they will. Uh, can they? That's the, that's the question. And it seems like there's a chance that they could if it's a negotiable thing year to year. So we'll, we'll certainly see how that moves. I don't anticipate that they're going to do anything. I just don't think the baseball, that the, that the people inside baseball think that this is that big of a deal. Uh, now moving on to the Orioles, Connor, uh, three gold glove finals. Zach and I were talking before you came on, not the gold glove finals that you would think. I think we could all assume that Adley would, would be there, but then you probably would have thought Gunner for utility and um, Cedric Mullins for center field. Well, it turns out it's Adley a catcher, but then you have Austin Hayes as a gold glove finalist in left field and Ryan Mountcastle at first base. Um, Let's start off with uh, Adley. I think we can all agree deserves to be there. Let's start with Austin Hayes. Played a phenomenal left field, especially in the American League East, where you you play left field in Fenway in Baltimore. It's not easy. How deserving is Austin Hayes of this recognition? Yeah, I think he's pretty deserving. I actually kind of went through it on my uh, episode yesterday, kind of breaking down the Gold Glove finalists and kind of how deserving all three of them were and if there were any snubs from the Orioles. And it, it felt like there was a pretty good argument when I looked at it for him to be one of the top three left fielders um, in the American League. And his arm strength is his number one thing. I mean, that stands out. I mean, in terms of like stat cast arm value and arm strength, he's at number one um, above all left fielders in baseball. We know he's got a cannon out there, which is one of the reasons why he plays that left field because if he picks up a ball deep in that corner, we know he can throw it to third base on a line and we've seen him do it before. He made some spectacular plays. It was actually a really good year for Austin Hayes because he had kind of a down defensive year in 2022. And some of that may have had to do with the injuries he was dealing with throughout the second half that made the bat kind of vanish as well, but he was healthier this year and he certainly played a much better left field. And I don't know if he'll win this award because I believe Dalton Varsho and Stephen Kwan are the other finalists. Um, and if you look at the defensive numbers, Kwan is like far and away above anyone else, almost at any outfield position, let alone left field. Hmm. So he's probably going to win this award. But I think Hayes is a pretty deserving finalist, honestly. Now, with regard to Austin Hayes, each of the last two years, and it used to be his health, his health, his health. He can't stay on the field. Well, he has the last two years and has put together phenomenal first halves and then fallen off a cliff the second half of the season. Last year, he barely hit 200 the second half. This season, he hit 228 in the second half after going into the All-Star break as one of the American League's leading hitters and starting in left field in the All-Star game. 
is Austin Hayes back with the Orioles next year? He's coming up. I, I believe he's only got one year of arbitration left. Is he a guy that the Orioles are thinking about keeping, or do you think that his days in Baltimore are numbered? I honestly think, I don't know. I honestly don't know. I've, I've struggled with this question. I think the Orioles have a couple of really, really interesting questions in terms of the players currently on their roster this offseason. And Austin Hayes is one of them. And I just think for Hayes, like, I've, I've said this before on my podcast, like, if Austin Hayes did what he did the last two years, but in reverse, think about how much more trade value he would have if he just did what he did, but in the second half of each yeah. of those seasons. Like, if Austin Hayes had done his first half this year in the second half, I mean, that guy would have been hitting third or fourth in the Orioles' order every single day down the stretch and into the postseason. And everybody would have known Austin Hayes. Like, yeah, it's great to start the All-Star game, but when you fizzle out down the stretch and people can kind of tell in the postseason, hey, you're not really a huge part of this order. Like, you're still a starter, but you're not a huge part of the run producers in this order anymore. I just, I think he's going to be back because, I don't know what his trade value is. I mean, he's a really good defensive left fielder playing a tough left field. He can play center and right field for you. He's a right-handed bat who was awesome in the first half, but we know the struggles he has, which is he still gets banged up, and he's tried to play through those injuries the last couple of years. We also know he hits the ball on the ground way too much, um, mm-hmm. and it's a huge issue for him because he does have power, but he just cannot lift the baseball at times, and it really puts him – into funks at the plate. We know he's not really going to walk much and he's a free swinger. And so you just don't know for a guy who's not a true center fielder, what his real value becomes. And I honestly think that for Austin Hayes, he just becomes a guy who probably plays out his rookie contract with the Orioles, which would be the next two seasons. And then that's it. I just kind of think he will play it out. I don't know if he'll be an everyday player. I think if the cursed ads and the Cowsers of the world start to develop a little more, like I could see there being, a Cowser Hayes platoon in left field next year. Like I could certainly see that being something the Orioles do. Maybe they even go out and get a veteran left-handed hitter who can kind of platoon out there in left field with him as well. I just, I don't know, because if you look at his first half, you say, yeah, like let's think about re-signing him. Like, this has been an incredible player. And then you look what he's done down the stretch and it's just like, it's, it's a frustrating watch when he's at the plate and it and a really good defense certainly helps him this year, but it is a frustrating watch. I just think he's a guy where, you don't extend him, you don't trade him, and you just kind of let him run your course because he still helps your team, but not as much as you thought he could when he was coming up as a rookie. Connor, I've got a viewer question for you. Uh, after the end of this season, you, your takes on ownership have been pretty interesting, and this certain viewer wants your insight on the ownership uh, at the conclusion of the 2023 season. Where are you at on that? On what I think of John Angelos or what I think he'll do with his money? He worded it as ownership, so I think it's all of the above, yeah. Yeah, I mean, at this point, like, number one is we don't have a signed lease yet. Um, And we are in mid-October, and, you know, the Baltimore Sun's done some great reporting this week about what actually happened when the Orioles put up the, you know, announcement during the clinching game that they had signed the lease and they really hadn't. Um, It seems like a mess up there between Angelos and Wes Moore and the stadium authority, and that seems to be number one on his priority list, and it should be for him to sign that lease. But at this point, I just, and I think some of it, you know, a lot of people want to say it's 100% Elias, 100% Angelos. I think it's both, to be honest, the reason why the Orioles aren't spending money. Like, John Angelos doesn't want to spend his money. He's made it very clear to us, to the New York Times, to pretty much everyone, that he's not going to spend in free agency and might not even spend on his homegrown players to extend them. But also, Mike Elias comes from Houston, and Houston spends its money, but if you really notice, they don't really spend their money 
on outside free agents. Houston spends their money on extending their own guys, and when they make trades, they're able to trade for guys with big contracts, with multiple years left on big contracts, and eat that money and pay those guys. I don't think Mike Elias comes from a place where you know he's been taught and he has been really in favor of spending big on outside free agents. So I think he's completely fine with developing in-house talent. I know Sigmund Dell is big on developing in-house talent. And then John Angelos probably hired him because he knew he felt that way. And then Angelos can take it to a next level and just really not spend it all. And we're going to come to a crossroads this off season because last year, you know, you can make the arguments, Oh, you know, they came out of nowhere to win 83 games still make the postseason. They're still maybe far away. You know, you can make the argument you don't want to add to the team. Well, now this team won 101 games and flamed out in the playoffs. And you got to do something to keep pace with four other teams in your division that are also trying to win every single year. I just, I don't see them going out and spending a four or five year deal on a hundred plus million dollars for a starting pitcher. And I just worry that he really will be the Rays and the Guardians. And I do think this kind of ties in with the Austin Hayes conversation. What they do with Anthony Santander this offseason will tell us a lot about how John Angelos is going to operate this thing forward. Can you expound on that? Or exp- I'm sorry, expand on that a little bit with Anthony Santander. Are you saying whether they trade him, they keep him, they extend him? Which, which move do you think is going to be the, the most uh, eye-opening about how this team is planning to move forward? Yeah, so if they extend him, I think that is a huge positive for how the Orioles will operate moving forward. Because I think they will see that, you know, this is a player with value to our team. Anthony Santander is probably more valuable to the Orioles than he would be to any other organization. And even though the Orioles understand that, they know that, you know what, let's pay for this guy because he helps our team to win. And I'm not saying you're giving him six, seven years, but plopping another two years on top of Anthony Santander, giving him a little money to stick around. If they just bring him back on, you know, $12, $13 million in arbitration, let him play it out in the middle of the order, and then let him walk next offseason – I think we still have questions about the ownership at that point. I don't think we're ready to say, all right, they're going to trade everyone when they get to ARB, but we're not ready to say they're ready to spend. If they deal Anthony Santander this offseason, I think that is our number one 100% indicator that the Orioles plan to operate like the Rays and the Guardians moving forward, which is as soon as any player, doesn't matter who they are, gets too expensive, they will trade them and believe they have a guy behind them who's cheaper and who's a rookie who can replace them. And sometimes the Rays and Guardians have been able to do that. Sometimes, like this year in Cleveland, they have absolutely not been able to do that. And it hurts the team moving forward. And I really think, because listen, Santander's going to, again, be due to make 12 or $13 million in arbitration. That would make him the most expensive Oriole if they don't go out and sign other players in free agency. Sure. Are the Orioles going to pay $13 million? You would think so, because they paid $8 million for Adam Frazier and $10 million for Kyle Gibson. You would hope they'd pay $13 million for Santander. But they haven't been in this spot yet, where a player has gotten really somewhat expensive in arbitration, and the Orioles have been good, and that player has been a key part of their team. I think because of that, we need to see how they operate this offseason. And we probably won't get the answers, because I think the most likely thing is he just comes back next year. They agree to $12.5 million and he plays next season. But if there is a trade, it's going to signal, I think, bad things moving forward for the Orioles. Yeah, it's, it's hard to expect good things 
um, when it comes to how how this team operates in the offseason. Like liftoff last year amounted to Kyle Gibson, Adam Frazier, and Michael Givens, right? And and, and, and trading for James McCann is being paid by by the Mets for this season and next season. Um, so so it's it's hard to imagine. And then when you look at the and I know that when they did it, it was because it was 2019. But trading VR, so you wouldn't have to pay him 12 million dollars, and you get Easton Lucas out of the deal. Um, to me, like that was just a that was a white flag, which we knew they were waving for the, for five years anyway. But I just haven't seen nothing that would make me think that the Orioles aren't still operating that same way. When I saw his number at twelve to thirteen million, I thought they'll probably pay him that much this year, and they won't extend him because they don't want to pay him more than that. Uh, so I think I'm 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 with you that that's a bad sign for how this team is going to operate moving forward. Now, assuming that they, maybe they do go out there and they sign some free agents, because I do think that they're going to add to this team, and I think it's going to be more than just Nate Webb to a two-year minor league deal. Um, <laughs> Do you agree? Because last year, Zach and I were crying from the rooftops to anybody that was willing to listen that this team needed a legitimate veteran middle-of-the-order bat. I still think that they need that. I, I, I think they need to move Ryan Mount the Ryan Mountcastles and Austin Hayes and Anthony Santander of the world out of the 3-4-5 holes and put them in better spots to be more productive players. And that they can do that by adding a legitimate bat that actually imposes fear into the opposition. The first guy that comes to mind who I know is not going to be here is Cody Bellinger. I think he fits the Orioles to a T because he can play first base. He can play all three outfield positions. He's a left-handed power bat who had a really nice bounce back year. Who would you think would be the Orioles acquisition, should be an Orioles acquisition? Justin Turner is another one that comes to mind for this team for the 2024 season. Yeah, I mean, Bellinger would be awesome. Um I was calling for J.D. Martinez last offseason. So was I. I think that could certainly work in the middle of their order, just a power bat. Um, you know, maybe they shade left-hander just because of the stadium, but I don't think that plays too, too much of a factor at this point. And they could also, you know, make that move via trade. Like, we keep talking about trade for pitching, trade for pitching, trade for pitching. They could trade for hitting. And I get that it doesn't make as much sense because your surplus is hitting in the minor leagues. But if you package a couple of question marks with high feelings for a sure thing for a bat, that is certainly going to help the 2024 Orioles be better. And so I am all for making the 2024 Orioles better. And I do think, like I've seen a lot of, of discourse since I you know, did an episode with Paul Mancano the other day, kind of talking about um, Jordan Westberg and Adam Frazier's season and how they split their time and kind of platoon down the stretch and you know what this means for Westberg moving forward and you know, will the Orioles, you know, I asked the question, would they bring Adam Frazier back? And people freaked out. Yeah. The basis of that question was, will they bring another veteran infielder back mm-hmm. um, in free agency or just ride with the young guys? And I do see them bringing in some sort of veteran just because like, you still need adults in there. Like you can't run around with all 24 and five-year-olds in their first and second years in the big league. You, like you need guys who have been there, done it. And whether it is Cody Bellinger or Justin Turner or J.D. Martinez or whether it is like some more interesting maybe value plays like, you know, I don't know if Mark Canna would help this offense or, you know, if a guy like maybe Michael Conforto would come in and help this offense or, you know, there's, there's interesting names out there, Jack Peterson that could maybe help the Orioles. I just don't think it's going to be a guy who's like, an all-star type player who's going to hit third for you every day, but they do still need to bring in an adult this off season. I think um, it's just, it's got to be better than Adam Frazier. 
Yeah, I, I agree. It's got to be uh, better than Adam Frazier. Now, same question, uh, but starting pitcher, we all agree that the Orioles need an, another guy who maybe isn't a frontline starter, but can slide into, uh, who could be a number two or number three. I don't think the Kyle Gibsons of the world, and look, Kyle Gibson did what he was asked to do this year. He pitched very effectively for the Orioles, well, well more often than not, but the ERA was still above four and four and three quarters uh, when the season came to an end, and he only pitched in relief for the Orioles in the postseason. What kind of a starting pitcher do the Orioles go after, and do you think they're more likely to get a guy uh, via trade, maybe a Corbin Burns or Dylan Cease or even a Brady Singer, who I've seen them uh, linked to by Bleacher Report, or do you think they'll go out and spend some money on somebody of in a Nathan Evaldi type of ilk? Yeah, I mean, it's much more likely to happen via trade. Um, and a lot of times when I like, you know, do, we'll do mailbag episodes, like I'm doing one on Monday on the podcast. A lot of the questions are just like, is it more likely they trade for or sign a starting pitcher? And I think you can answer that question yourself by just looking at what the Orioles have done and what they have in the minor leagues. It is so much more likely that they trade for one of these guys than sign one of these guys. And would Dylan Cease and Corbin Burns really help this team? Absolutely. Those guys would help this team. And I would love to see a deal made there. For the Orioles to get better at starting pitcher but I just all I had heard last offseason was the Orioles were making offers like Mike Elias talked to, to the media in his postseason press conference about how you know he got asked you know would you be willing to give out 40 to 60 million dollar free agent contracts and he talked about how like you know we had offers out there and I had heard that there were multiple offers of you know two years 40 million three years 50 million like offers like that out on the table by the Orioles they just you know got outspent by other teams for those Jamison Tyone, Taiwan Walker, you know, mid-tier type pitchers, uh, the Chris Bassett's, uh, you know, those kind of guys who had varying levels of success but would have helped the Orioles just because the veteran innings that they would have eaten. There's guys out there who I could see them spending not a lot of money on but bringing in as a free agent, trying to upgrade the Kyle Gibson. You know, I don't know if that means going and getting – some not very exciting guys like a Michael Lorenzen potentially bringing in free agency or, you know, like maybe trying to get a bounce back from Luis Severino or, you know, a guy like Eric Lauer or something. But I don't think the Orioles are going to spend in the echelon that it will take to get the guys I really want on this team, which are Aaron Nola, which are Sonny Gray, which at this point, a guy who's making himself a lot of money is Jordan Montgomery. Mm -hmm. And I just feel that they're not going to spend up there, but, they have the pieces to trade for anyone they want. It is up to them to decide, are they willing to part with these prospects to go get Corbin Burns, to get Dylan Cease? They were not willing, it seemed, at the deadline. Maybe they'll be more willing this offseason, but I think far and away it's much more likely they make a trade than make a legitimate splash in free agency. It's certainly going to be an interesting offseason. I've resigned myself to the fact that the Orioles won't do anything splashy via free agency, but maybe we'll see a trade. But again, I'm, I'm, I'm in the boat of I have to see it to believe it. I, I just I know that players are coming in, but I think it's a, along the same lines of what we've seen each of the last two years with Odor and Lyles and then Frazier and uh, Gibson. I think it's going to be more moves like that than moves that we really think are going to be difference makers for this team. But, you know, you're going to have full seasons out of Jordan Westberg, potentially Westberg, Kerstad, and um, 
Jackson Holiday next year, which is automatically going to make this team better. Still worried about the bullpen, but I think that maybe they, I think they probably are more likely to bring in a, rele- a, a decent reliever via free agency than anything else. Now, Connor, before we let you go, you know the game we play on the show. We play Take to Rake. We're dwindling down here to the final days of Take to Rake. Um, what we do here, just in case, just to jog your memory, uh, we each pick a player that we think is going to have the biggest week offensively. Uh, the only stipulation is you can't pick the same player that was picked the week before that you picked. So in your instance, because last week uh, Luke Jackson was our guest and he picked Evan Carter, Evan Carter is off limits for you. I can't take Bryce Harper again, and Zach can't take Jordan Alvarez. Now, Connor, you've been on this show a number of times and played this game with us a number of times, so you do not get the benefit of being the guest and being able to pick first because you've done it so many times with us. So Zach won take to rake last week. He chose Jordan Alvarez. Alvarez hit 400, 435, 700, 1135 with two home runs and seven RBIs. I took Bryce Harper, 250, 471, 500, 971. And Luke took Evan Carter, 222, 300, 333, 633. This means Zach picks first. I pick second. Unfortunately, Connor, you have to pick third in this instance. You ready to play? I'm ready. All right, Zach, go ahead. You got Give me Altuve. Jose Altuve. Jose Altuve. All right, Zach's going to take Jose Altuve. I'm going to take Jordan Alvarez. The, the 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 dude just mashes in the postseason, and I forgot about him when I took – I would have taken Harper anyway. I love Bryce Harper. Taking Jordan Alvarez. Who you got, Connor? Yeah, I mean, you, you got to kind of pick, like, who you think is going to win the CS, too, because, you know, there's only a couple games left there. I'll right. take Kyle Schwarber going back to Citizens Bank Park, both at the end of the NLCS and then in the World Series as well. He's already, I think, now number one all-time of left-handed hitters with for home runs in the postseason, and uh, I see a couple more of those coming. Yeah, that dude is, is boom or bust, and he's been a lot of boom this postseason and in his career, that's for sure. Connor, what do you got coming up? Yeah, so this week uh, I got a mailbag on Monday, so uh, at Locked on Orioles on Twitter. Send mailbag questions anybody out there listening who wants to know a little bit more about the Orioles. Um, and then continuing the player review series, two players per episode throughout the offseason season. Um, and for fans of this show, um, Paul and Zach should be expecting texts from me in the coming days to schedule uh, their next appearances on the Lockdown Orioles podcast to talk about a few players and uh, review their 2023 seasons with the Orioles and talk about what their outlooks are for 2024. That's kind of the, the gist of what the podcast is, at least until uh, the World Series is over, and then we can really start talking free agency trades and all that good stuff in the offseason. Certainly looking forward to checking that out. I'm looking forward to being a part of your show again. It's always one of my favorite things uh, when we get to this time of year. So, Connor, always awesome talking with you, man. Thank you so much for taking the time to, for us on a Saturday morning. We'll talk to you again here really soon, okay? All right. Thanks for having me. All right, man. See you. That was Connor Newcomb from the Locked on Orioles podcast. And I, I always like to give him a lot, a lot more time because he always has so much oh, yeah. to say. And um, that's not to say that he talks so much. It's just he he's got so insightful that we like to talk with him for 40 minutes if we can. Uh, so thank you to Connor for coming on the show today. That segment was brought to you by the latest edition of the print, Press Box print issue, which is available now on the cover. Todd Karpovich profiles the Orioles survivors, Anthony Santander, Austin Hayes, Cedric Mullins, and Ryan Mountcastle, who all came from the previous regime, but stuck through tough times to be key pieces in guiding the franchise back to prominence. Also inside, we remember the iconic Brooks Robinson, with tributes from Jim Henneman and Stan the fan. 
Charles and the trip down memory lane to remember the most significant moments of his career. Plus, we meet players from all of the college basketball programs around the state. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. When we come back in, we'll close this thing out with some final thoughts and move on to next week. That's next on The Battle Round. Come for a game, stay for everything else. Book an unforgettable fall getaway in Charm City. Enjoy only in Baltimore festivals, mouthwatering eats, and endless entertainment. Treat yourself to a staycation in the heart of downtown or try one of the city's many charming neighborhood hotels. And don't miss out on packages for free parking, breakfast, and more. Plan your stay at baltimore.org hotels. What company has the expertise to make your home healthier by purifying your air and killing all viruses, allergens, and bacteria. A.J. Michaels, heating and air conditioning in Baltimore and Annapolis, ajmichaels.com. The Maryland Five Star returns to iconic Fair Hill October 19th to 22nd, marking the next chapter in Maryland's equestrian tradition. Best described as the triathlon of horse eventing, you won't want to miss this thrilling sport. Enjoy a fall festival with local fair, retail vendors, and tons of family fun. Come for the event and stay for the experience in Cecil County, home to the Chesapeake Bay waterfront with vibrant small towns and accommodations to suit every desire. It's the place to be in October. Visit Maryland5star.us for tickets. Gambling can be a fun and entertaining experience, but there are risks involved. If you're planning on betting on the game at the casino or on your phone or computer, know your limit, stay within it. Set a budget and a time to stop. Remember, gambling isn't a financial solution and it doesn't mix well with alcohol or drugs. Know the risks and have a plan before you begin gambling. For free and confidential services, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org. Whether your focus is luxury and comfort, convenience and technologically advanced connectivity, or sporty performance and aggressive styling, we've got the perfect Highlander for you. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Highlanders from your local Toyota dealer today. What's up, everyone? It's Tyus Bowser, and I've had so much fun hanging out with Rita and putting up with Glenn the last couple years that I've decided to do it again. Season three of the Tyus Bowser Show is happening this year as we'll be all over town, giving you the chance to get to know me and some of my teammates. As we talk football, life in general, and just say what needs to be said, you can find out more about the show by going to pressboxonline.com Bowser. If you don't live in the area, you can watch the shows live on Facebook and YouTube. And if you miss one, you can listen Friday nights at 105.7 The Fan. So we'll see you all season long for the Tyus Bowser Show. A partnership, a press box, and great ace memorabilia. The next Tyus Bowser show is Tuesday, November 7th at Guilford Home Brewery in Station North. It's brought to you by AJ Michaels, Superbook Sports, and HelpMyGamblingProblem.org. Six chicken tenders made from fresh, never-frozen Royal Farms world-famous chicken, a family-sized order of Western fries, honey mustard dipping sauce, and a two-liter bottle of Dr. Pepper. It's Royal Farms' new Tucker's Tenders Meal. It's Justin Tucker's favorite, and at only $19.99, it'll be your favorite meal, too. The new Tucker's Tenders Meal, available only at Royal Farms. Now you can kick back, relax, and eat like a champion. Real fresh, real fast, Royal Farms. 
the latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Todd Karpovich profiles the Orioles' survivors, Anthony Santander, Austin Hayes, Cedric Mullins, and Ryan Mancastle, who all came from the previous regime but stuck through tough times to be key pieces in guiding the franchise back to prominence. Also inside, we remember the iconic Brooks Robinson with tributes from Jim Henneman and myself, Stan the Fan Charles, and a trip down memory lane to remember the most significant moments of his career. Plus, we meet players from college basketball programs around the state. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. The place to be after this and every Ravens game this season is PressBox's Project Game Day. Glenn Clark, Rita Hubbard, and former Ravens Super Bowl champion Femi Ayambadejo will react live to every game, offering their truly uncensored opinions about the team's decisions and results in each game. Plus, they'll be joined by other special guests during the year, and you can chime in live during each show as well. Watch the shows live at youtube.com slash pressboxonline or facebook.com slash pressboxsports and check Glenn Clark Radio or the NFL Chick on Twitter for a Zoom link that will allow you to be a part of the show. So join Glenn, Rita, and Femi tomorrow after Ravens, Lions, and every game day this season. Project Game Day is brought to you by Superbook Sports, AJ Michaels, and HelpMyGamblingProblem.org. Any thoughts? Any Orioles thoughts? We didn't spend a lot of time talking about the no. Orioles today at all. To I, ha- I have general baseball thoughts. I, I think the Phillies are going to win this thing. Yeah. I really believe that. Like, I, I don't see a team that really is better. The Diamondbacks, the games they've won haven't been like, th- this, you know, big wins or anything like that. That They've blown the Phillies out of the water. That's just not the case. Mm-hmm. So I think the Phillies are the best team here. Texas, if they make it through, is gonna, I believe is going to be tough. Houston, if they make it through, is going to be tougher. Yeah. So I think that... Phillies Houston would be a really entertaining World Series, but then again, I don't like either of those teams. I have no dog in that fight. I want the Diamondbacks to win this. I didn't get a chance to say that earlier, but I do because they're kind of a team that's been down and out for many years, and now they're kind of turning things around. And I like to see that. I like the underdog stories. Yeah, I like the underdog stories too. I just I look at the Diamondbacks, and it's like you go back to 2021, 110 losses. Orioles, 110 losses. Yeah. Orioles ended up getting Jackson Holiday because because of that. And they got um, Jordan Lawler. No, it wasn't Jordan Lawler. It was Andrew Jones. That's what it was. Okay, Drew um, Jones. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, and then Drew Drew Jones. He Drew wants Jones, to separate. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then last year they both played above their heads. They both uh, ended up. Yeah. I, I think the Diamondbacks finished below 500, but they were like close. It was yeah. something like 78 and 84. Yep. Something something along those lines. And then I lo- I look at this year. Right, and hang on, let me let me see if I can find something in here real quick. But I, I look at this year, and I look at the Orioles, they win 101 games. And they have the probable rookie of the year in Gunnar Henderson. And then I look at the Diamondbacks. They win 84 games, it's respectable, and they have the probable rookie of the year in Corbin Carroll. The Orioles won 17 more games mm-hmm. than the Diamondbacks. And, and because I don't want the Diamondbacks to get there first. I want the Orioles to get. That's fair. I want the Orioles to get there first, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that, yeah, maybe the Diamondbacks have been down and out, but they're never down and out the way the Orioles are down and out. Yeah, that's true. That's fair. You yeah, know, the yeah. Orioles didn't win 
from 1998 to 2011, and then we got five years, and yeah. then a, a team that started out blazing hot through 32 games in 2017 and fell off a cliff. Yep. A 2018 team that we expected that to potentially be an outside, uh, like a dark horse World Series candidate. That yeah. that if falling off a cliff is what the 2017 Orioles did, then the 2018 Orioles fell off a mountain into the Grand Canyon. Like <laughs> like that was like the worst season I've ever seen in any professional sport of my uh, entire life. Yeah. No and, doubt. And, and so, like, we've gotten crap from the Orioles the majority of my life. See the Diamondbacks, they've won a World Series. They, they Now, look, they go, they'll, they'll make it to the postseason, and then it's like a minimum of three years before they get back there. But they're never as bad as the Orioles have been. And I just, we don't get much here in Baltimore with our baseball these days. No. And I, I, I like to watch another team be as bad as the Orioles were, and then get back there first. It was the same thing, way I felt about the Tigers in 2021, the Royals going into uh, the, the. I think the Royals in 2021 also the same way that I felt about those teams. Is how I feel about the Diamondbacks. Yeah. Why do you deserve to get there before the Orioles did? Well, you, you know what I they mean. They played better in the playoffs. That's all. <laughs> well, yeah, they did. I mean, th- that's what it, what it all boils down to. Yeah, is that I haven't got it all figured out just yet. Yeah, well. what it all boils down to, Alanis Morissette. No, no, don't right, know it. Shut the hell up. Sorry. Um, I'll know it. But I, I, I do think the Phillies are going to win this, uh, this whole thing. They were my pick. As soon as they, I, I, I thought to myself, if they beat the Braves, which I, which is a tall task, they're going to win the World Series. Astros, it does their record. They could be, they could have eighty four wins. They could win the wild card at eighty three and seventy nine. Yeah. They still got to be your favorite every year yeah. to get to the to get to the World Series until they don't. Um, but yeah, I, I, I've got the Phillies. As far as the Ravens. A lot of people picking the Lions over the Ravens tomorrow. The Ravens, look, they got down inside the 10-yard line on five different drives yep. last week and got field goals out of all of those drives. Yep. One touch. What was it? One touchdown? I think just one touchdown. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they, they won that football game, but they, they, they won that game 24-16. to 16. Mm-hmm. They should have won that game. I told I said that they were going to win 42-13. They should have won 42-13. Yeah, because it was, it was six field goals and a missed two-point conversion. Or not, yeah. not, No, it wasn't that. It was, a, it was a blocked extra point after the penalty in the two-point conversion. So that's right. how... 24, yeah. Right. It was 24-16. That team... The, the Ravens are better than that. They just they get inside oh, the red zone and they forget how to how to move the football. It, it, it's I have so many things to say on this, and we don't have a whole show on this, so yeah. I'll, I'll put it in a few words. I think they need there needs to be a coaching change, and I, I'm never, I, I never want to say that. I think Harbaugh is a fantastic coach, but I think the message needs to change within the Ravens organization right now. I don't think it's really resonating with the players. I, I don't know. They get down to the red zone. They fail. They can never hold leads. This team can never just win a game. It's got to be let the other team climb back into it until finally they just you know punch them down the, at the very end of things and they win. It's it's a very hard brand of football to watch right now. It's a very hard brand and of football to watch. It's been this way f- uh, for a long time. It has been. Uh, th- they take their foot off the gas. They take their foot. They get a lead, and then they take their foot off the yep. gas. And yep. teams are too good in the NFL these days for you to let them back in. Right, but, but because and they do it every game. They do every it, game they win, every, they let the team back in. They do it every single game. It is telling when the head coach of your biggest rival beats you with a far with a far inferior football team. Yes, and they beat you in a game you were up ten nothing. Yeah. And what was it, seventeen to three? No, no, they they were up ten nothing, ten three. Yeah, they come back and they beat you seventeen to ten, and or seventeen was it seventeen thirteen? 
Uh, no, it was 10. 17-10. You go up 10 nothing. you lose that football game 17-10, and the yeah. head coach says, one, we knew that when the Ravens, when things started to go not their way, they were going to burn the house down. That's how we beat them with Always. George Pickens. And then he says, we know the Ravens don't play four quarters of football. They don't. When the head coach of your biggest rival knows that about your team and says that about your team, the common denominator with every single team, all the injuries they have, all the yep. times they take their foot off their gas, it's John Harbaugh. And John Harbaugh is a hell of a football coach, and if he gets yep. fired, he'll get hired someplace else tomorrow. Yep. But there needs to be a change. The the, yeah. the, the uh, Changing a culture starts at the top. And maybe play, players love to play for the Baltimore Ravens organization. They have it really nice there. Yep. But at the end of the day, you are who your head coach makes you. This is not a team that I think is going to win playoff football games. It's just not one. Because you're, you you can get a lead. Say the Ravens are up, I don't know, 21 to 17. The better teams are going to get back into it because you're going to take your foot off the gas not because you have a four-point lead. even the better lead. teams. They had... How many times did we see them blow double-digit second-half leads too, last year? Too they, many, since, too many. since the start of 2022, so, they've blown a 10-plus-point lead, yeah. lead five times, most in football. And the point is, is that tomorrow... They have the toughest task yet. The Lions have been really... Jared Goff's been like one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Mm-hmm. The Lions are good across the board. David Montgomery's out. That's big uh, for the Lions. But, but Jameer Gibbs is back. Yeah, right. Jameer Gibbs is back. I don't know. This is this is going to be a really tough game. Yeah. Re- really tough game. I still think the Ravens are going to win. I think I, yeah, I, I, I think they're going to win because they need that signature win this year. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And you would have thought that it was again when they when they beat the Browns twenty seven to three, or they they scored twenty eight points in Cincinnati and beat beat the Bengals. Yeah. Um, but they need that signature win, and they need to prove other teams wrong that they're not taking their foot off the gas. Yeah. You have all the offensive firepower to be able to do it. I also think they need to trade for a running back by the deadline, Agreed whether whether that. it's Saquon or Derrick Henry or Dalvin freaking Cook. Gus is not getting it done for me right now. He's not. He's not. And people that think Keaton Mitchell is going to be the savior of this team, no. of this team's running game. That ain't happening. It'd be cool if he got a few carries. But it would, I, it certainly... and, and I think that he probably will tomorrow. But yeah. It, it, Gus Edwards, Keaton Mitchell, and and Justice Hill aren't those dudes, and, no. and Melvin Gordon. Dalvin Cook is growing spider webs on the bench Literally, for, yeah. for the Jets. Yeah. You can't tell me a guy that's rushed for 1,100 yards in five straight seasons just suddenly lost it. It's hard to believe. It, yeah. It's hard to believe. Brees Hall is their, their number one guy now. But anyway, point, uh, my score prediction, I, I have one in mind, so I guess I can go first. I'm going to go 24-21 Ravens, three-point win. Uh, it's hard to see them scoring more than that. Um, I'll say 27-20 Ravens. I think the Ravens score a touchdown okay. late. I think it's going to be tied late, and they score a touchdown late to win the football I'm, I'm going to amend mine, actually. I'm going to go 20. I don't think the Lions are scoring three touchdowns. I think it's going to, yeah. I think a little two touchdowns, two field goals. I like okay. That. I like that. All right, 24. You said 24-20? 24-20, yeah. 24-20. I'm saying 27-20, and... You know, I I just think that the Ravens need that signature win. They need to stop letting teams back in the game. So no the, the one point that you made where the Ravens go down, they score late, the good teams come back. The Ravens let all the teams yeah, come back when they, they score do. late. They need to be able to get a stop late in the game, and I think they're finally going to do it this week. They do. That's going to do it for us here on the Bat Around. Thanks to Stan the Fan Charles for his weekly segment. Thanks to Connor Newcomb for another excellent segment, as always. Thanks to all of our listeners. I'm sorry. Thank you to all of our sponsors. Without you, we don't have a show. Thank you to all of our listeners. Without you, we certainly do not have a show. Uh, so special thanks to everybody that tunes in each and every week, including you, Mom. You're our biggest supporter. Appreciate you. Uh, We will talk to you next week. See ya!